BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good like positive takeaway is to have to have that thought process, you know, that you were just to be in the conversation is something like, obviously it's not what you want to settle for, but, Mm -hmm. but just being in the conversation of the teams that are expected to be contenders, um, even down up until the last week of the season, even though the season didn't end quite the way we wanted it to, obviously, like we would have, we would have had more fun if we were celebrating getting into the postseason today than if we were celebrating, you know, um, the positive takeaways that we had from the season and our, our top five favorite moments. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's it's the thing where Jake and I have this mentality of focusing on um, positivity, um, focusing on growth and not focusing on, on the negativity and things that are going to shrink capabilities and, um, yeah, like not focusing on the negativity just because – it benefits nobody. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, it, it it just hurts the the general public mental health in addition to obviously the person doing the complaining. Um, so Jake and I just decide not to do that. So Jake and I are not going to do any complaining today, um, despite no. a pretty rough weekend for Wisconsin sports, um, <sighs> the Brewers and the Badgers more so than the Packers, but the Packers we'll talk about on Friday night. But today we're going to talk about the Brewers and the Badgers. So we are going to talk about our five positive takeaways that we each had from this Brewers season. Uh, we're each going to talk about our top five moments from the season. Um, and then um, in the next couple of weeks here, we're going to talk about what the Brewers can improve. And then once we get into you know a little bit more of the offseason, Jake and I'll talk about how they can improve those things. And then a little bit farther down when free agency opens, we'll, we'll come up with like a wish list. Um, and we'll do that so that we keep focusing on the Brewers throughout the off season. Um, the Brewers are a couple hours away from the season being over and then no more baseball for Milwaukee until 2023, which is, which is a bummer. It feels like baseball season went really fast. Does it feel like that for you too? Yeah. Um, they say you don't understand how fast time moves till you have kids. And I'm sure you feel that too, but yeah. All of a sudden, you look at next summer and your your kid is, you know, eight inches taller. You're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> when did it's, you get so tall? <laughs> like, Facebook memories will get you, dude. You'll yeah. start to feel like, that's what she looked like a year ago. Like, look at those cheeks. Yeah. Bro, I get it. I get it on Snapchat. It sucks. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate every moment of it. <laughs> it's funny seeing, seeing Lily from, like, two and three years ago. Like, she looks the exact same, but just, like, 
stretched out. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I get that even more, you know, talking about your own kids, but I get that even more with your kids, you know, because I don't see your kids every day like I see my sure. own. All of a sudden I come over and next next time I see her, she's going to be looking me in my eyes. <laughs> I think, oh I think, I think Lily's going to be taller than Courtney by the time she's a teenager. I could see that. She, Which makes I mean, me laugh because it's she's never going to be taller than me, so. She looks exactly like you, though. <laughs> she's got the same body you had as a little kid. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, there's no denying that it's Tyler's kid. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> All right. So do you, how do you feel about the, the Brewers? Do you want to do the top five takeaways or do you want to do the top five moments first? I think moments will be more fun. So I think we should do takeaways. <clears throat> but uh, I just wanted to say something real quick. You know, we talked about enjoying the ride, what, two months ago, maybe. And Probably I saw people, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really disappointing, but I saw people talking like, I didn't have fun. We didn't make the playoffs. It's like, you know, when I did my moments, you're going to see a trend that I did. And I was a little petty, not going to lie, when I did my moments. Because it's like, there was a lot of stuff that happened in this season, a lot of injuries, but there was still yep. a lot of accolades that were, or team accolades that were broken or set. And, you know, there was a lot, there was career years for other guys. Like there's still a lot of stuff to enjoy, you know? And yeah, Yeah. we lost a lot of games that we shouldn't have, you know, and the negative always outweighs the positive. That's just how our brain works. So people are going to think about, Oh, remember when they didn't beat the Reds and then the Cubs and that, you know, messed up their season. Well, there's lots of things that could have messed up their season. So to put it on two series, you know, when we were in the playoff hunt is ridiculous in my opinion. You know, and and people pointing at the Josh Hader trade, like, oh, the Josh Hader trade ruined this team. You think one trade, and yes, I understand, you know, mindset and camaraderie and, you know, all those fancy words. I understand all that. But we still had the tools to finish the job, you know, at that moment that we were at. And, you know, we'll get there. I'm sure we're going to talk about it. But I just wanted to get that out there. You don't have to. You can have fun, okay? Yeah. You can have fun. It there's, doesn't, there's great moments. It doesn't have to be all about the end result because if that were the case, 29 fan bases every year wouldn't have fun. Yeah. In, in the NBA, it would be the same thing. In yeah. the NFL, 31 fan bases would never have fun. It's, you know, it's a scenario where Craig Council talked about it today, and he said even just having expectations – of being, you know, World Series contenders or the expectations to be in the playoffs, that that in itself is a good thing because it means that you're a good team. And, you know, being in, you know, a little shy of 90 wins, you know, isn't where we, you know, we predicted they would be. Um, I think I predict the Brewers would win like 93 games or something like that. Um, But, you know, to be, just to be in the conversation of still making the playoffs, you know, as the the season is a week away from being over, you know, that's that's better than some teams could have hoped for when the season began, much less at the all-star break, much less coming into August, much less coming into September to even be able to to oh, be chance. able to contend for a playoff spot. Exactly. Well, think um, about this. You know, you're talking about the sorry to cut you off. You're talking about the being World Series contenders, right? And he he said that we should take pride in that, and I hundred percent agree. Tell a Milwaukee Brewers fan in 2015, I believe, was the year we won like 60-some games. 
Tell them that in 2022, we're going to be one of the best pitching staffs. We're going to be considered, you know, World Series chance in the NL. And they would take it. But now because we've had success yep. and we have gotten close, now they don't appreciate it. You know, and that, that goes into the appreciating Corbin Burns, appreciating Aaron Rodgers, appreciating Giannis. Yeah. Do, you know, did you not have fun last year watching the Bucks? I had a lot of fun. So did I. Did it fucking suck? That they lost to the Celtics? Hell yeah, it did. Yep. Hate losing to Boston. That's one of the worst cities to lose to. Yeah. But I had a lot of fun watching yeah. Giannis grow into the best player in the NBA. And that's not even an opinion anymore. Think about that. Yeah, dude, everybody, everybody <laughs> agrees. Like it's... that's like it's it's like a fact now. Yeah. <laughs> so we can say that with no backlash, uh, unless you're probably a Brooklyn Nets fan. Yeah, or but maybe Nuggets, I guess, or Lakers. Maybe fan. Nuggets. But come on. You really think that Jokic is better than Giannis? We're getting off topic here. He's not. But my point being, like, appreciate what we got, people. Yep. Appreciate what you got. And, you know, like, the thing you said of it, too, is is you tell a Brewers fan in 2015 that, well, I've made the playoffs four times in the next seven years, they'll probably mm-hmm. laugh at you. Because right. before that, it had been seven years, and they made the playoffs twice. And before that, it was, what, 20 years? Yeah, I think about so, that. You know, I, I get that – the, as you continue to make the playoffs consistently, mm-hmm. that the next step is to, you know, make deeper runs and then win a championship. Yeah. That's the pretty much the blueprint that the Milwaukee Bucks laid out was, you know, they got into the second round and then they got into the Eastern Conference Finals and then they eventually won a championship. Um, so getting to that, that's, you know, that's the the expectation is that the expectations will continue to increase. Now, it's a lot harder in baseball, which is just an unfortunate truth that it's harder to get over the top in baseball just because the field of play isn't as a level. Yeah. Um, but it can be done. You know, you know, there are small market teams that win um, that win World Series. Um, the Brewers, I think, are going to do more of a reload than a rebuild. Um, I think they're going to infuse um, a lot of young talent into this team in 2023, which is something we'll talk about when we get into – um, how yeah. the Brewers can improve uh, for next season <clears throat> and what they'll do to improve. But, you know, like we're saying, it's not all about only making the playoffs and only winning a World Series. That's the only way you'll have fun. And right. that's the only way the team doesn't suck is if if they win a championship. Otherwise, the team sucks. Like, it's championship or bust, and there's no fun involved if there isn't. Um, it's just you're, you're just robbing yourself of enjoying – things that you want to enjoy it it's dumb why even do it (laughs) exactly i mean why why not just leave your tv turned off or your radio turned off until october 1st yeah and find out if they're in the playoffs or not instead of watching all the games and getting invested and if you are going to watch all the games and listen to all the games like have some fun with them there's fun moments to be had even in bad seasons Mm -hmm. and again like i said the brewers had opportunity up until like the last week of the season to still make the postseason, you know, it's, I mean, what's up, James, James is a Red Sox fan. They have a top five payroll and they're not in the playoffs, you know, shots fired. I mean, it's, it's just a fact. Like it's yeah. the, the thing that I would say to those who say, you know, Adonacio needs to spend more, like spending more doesn't guarantee anything. Trading Injuries. for players at the deadline doesn't guarantee anything. It still right. comes down to execution. And the fact yep, is yep. that the guys that were available at the trade deadline 
didn't <laughs> sorry to pick on you. He comes in. Hey, uh, what's up, man? Shots fired immediately. <laughs> yep, just off the top right. ropes. Welcome. Welcome. Okay. Yep, man, there it is. We just lost a viewer. That was probably James leaving. Um <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, there's there's teams that didn't make the playoffs. There's teams like the Oakland A's who knew they weren't making the playoffs before the season started. Um, there's teams that knew at the all-star break, three of them in our own division that knew they weren't making the playoffs. Um, so, you know, they're still fun to be had like the Yankees game, um, just a couple weeks ago where the Brewers are down five, nothing after two innings and came back and won in extra innings. Right. So, you know, Jake and I are going to talk about some positive takeaways that we had from this season. Um, I'm just going to throw one out there that kind of came into fruition today, being that Corbin Burns is going to finish number one in the National League in strikeouts this year. Nice. He is the first Milwaukee Brewer to do so. Really? It does not happen in franchise history that a Brewer has led the, the, the league that they play in in strikeouts. Wow, that's impressive. Great job. Um, Corbin Burns this year also has the second highest strikeout total for a single season in franchise history. Um, let's see what else. There was nope, more you're not allowed to enjoy that. We didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. And then, um, oh, yeah. Um, he has reached 200 innings pitched for the first time in his career. Um, and he's the Very first nice. brewer to do it since Giovanni Gallardo in 2012. That's a long time. <laughs> Ten years since the Brewers had a starter go 200 innings. Corbin Burns did that this year, leading the NL in strikeouts. Um, the first in franchise history to do that. So that's that's one positive takeaway I'm going to throw out there. Um, so, Jake, nice. I will let you give one of your positive takeaways. So one of my positive takeaways, this one might be cheating, but it's kind of a shot at people <laughs> in the same sense. Council deserves to be back as the manager next year. Oh, yeah. um, I'm just really – it's kind of like the quarterback, right? Like Rodgers think about the playoff game last year this is the analogy i'm going with because this is how my brain's working he got blamed for that loss which does he deserve blame yes absolutely Um, yeah he's the quarterback he does not deserve 100 of the blame that is how i feel about carry council's position think of all the injuries think of all the young guys we brought up think of all the lineup shuffling think of how long the season of baseball is how unpredictable the sport of baseball is My positive takeaway is Council holding this team together through all of the adversity that he dealt with this season. That's that's a good point. That's I think that needs to be mentioned. Yeah. Um, Before before the Matt Bush injury, the Brewers had twenty five players on the injured list. At some point, twenty five. Shit. Think about that. And he's still. I mean, are they winning? I don't know. He has a chance to win eighty seven games with that possibility. 25 players on the injured list. Some of them more than once. games is not a crazy amount, but it's still enough of a number where you're looking at it. You're like, you know, in 10 years from now, if nobody watched baseball, right, 10 years ago and somebody was looking at baseball, they would see the Brewers have 87 wins. They would think that's a pretty good baseball team. You know, just a, a casual it's a look. decent at it. team. It's a solid team. You know, Yeah, like, like they're that. pretty good. But then you take yeah. all the injuries into the, in the factor – that could be some of the, the losses, you know what I'm saying? Right. Two, three here and there. Yeah. That's my first one. Um, you know, with that too, um, I forgot what I was gonna say the injuries. Um, like the eight game losing streak. That's the other thing I was gonna bring up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, of all the things that that didn't go well this season, the eight game losing streak that was a big thing. Um, but James, yeah, James is echoing kind of our sentiment, which was one of our, which was one of my positive takeaways, and we kind of talked about it a little bit already. But um, it's weird that you can't enjoy seasons without championships or playoffs. That's just not true. I mean, it's there's still fun things to enjoy, even if it's in small moments. So one of my things was that I was thankful the Brewers that had a shot at the playoffs. There's teams whose seasons were basically over before it began. Like I said, I brought up the Oakland A's. Like I can't imagine being a baseball fan in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's got to be like I can't even imagine how frustrating that's got to be that you trade three or four of your best players before the season starts, and then you trade the rest of your good players before uh, the trade deadline that's got to be a tough spot to be in. I wouldn't want to be in that position. I would much rather be in the Brewers position, even if it means missing the playoffs right before the end of the season. Bro, you just opened up a whole conversation. Imagine being a sports fan in Oakland. They took the basketball team away. They moved to San Francisco. They took the football team away. They moved to Vegas. And now your baseball team is putrid. And potentially moving, honestly. Oof. We had a bad weekend. They have bad years now. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. That's horrible, man. At least I'm still within an hour drive of seeing any of my teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Think about that. All right. Give me your give me another positive takeaway that you had. All right. So I know this one is very vanilla, but the Brewers are still great at pitching. Um sure. and I'm thankful for that. So when you're starting a team and like you said, the position that they're in. And you coming, you're coming into next season. You at least know that you're good at pitching, so you can fill sure. in the holes after that. So you have the foundation set. You have a good manager and Craig Council, who I really believe is probably top six, seven, five manager in the game. Um, he's been around for a while, so yeah, he's 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 definitely up there in that that top five, six, seven area. Um, so you're you're really great at pitching, and honestly, to fi- to fix the problems. It sounds easy on paper, but obviously it's harder than it than it than it sounds. But you know, you have the pitching. So I am ecstatic about that. I actually am, you know, coming into next season. I know that we only have to score so many runs per game, five, six runs per game. If they can hit for a little bit better average, we have a really, really good chance to win our division. Yep. And the Cardinals are getting older. So that's another positive too. <laughs> the Cardinals are real old. Like outside of Arenado and Goldschmidt, who are probably gonna finish one and two in the MVP race, like mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to stay on your takeaways of pitching. I'm going to go with like one of my <laughs> positive takeaways this year was Brandon Woodruff after coming off the injured list. Yep. So he appeared in 18 <laughs> games after coming off the injured list. He gave up 29 earned runs in 101 or 109 and two thirds innings. Oh my God. That's a 197 <laughs> ERA. He had an eight and one record in that time. 137 strikeouts and only 29 walks. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Brandon Woodruff post injured list was a monster. Yes. So you know, people that want to throw out that you know Trey <coughs> Hader ruined the season in this or that. You know, in the grand scheme of things, if trading Hader means that we get to re-sign Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, ruin half a season. Because having those guys around for the future, easily worth missing out on the playoffs once. 
Yeah, and yeah, we got a couple of off prospects. Got a couple of interesting prospects in that. Mizarowski looks real good. So he was we'll, the second uh, round pick that we got this year. Yeah, he's probably going to start the season in AAA. You think so? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That dude looks legit. Dude's throwing in the hundreds. I trust you. All right, oh give me another gosh. one. Ooh, actually, right. wait, hold on. So, I got more on Woodruff yet. I got more stats on Woodruff. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Go Sorry. ahead. Sorry. Um, okay. So um, he did also tie Giovanni Gallardo for the second most 10 strikeout games in franchise history. He's up to 18. Um, he did that six times in his 18 games after the injured list. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so basically a third of his games, he was over 10 strikeouts. Yeah, um, he was nuts. So he's got 18. Corbin Burns leads the franchise with 21. Um, and then the last thing I have is, uh, 11 times he had over eight strikeouts out of his 18. That's so basically two thirds of the time Woodruff was going to give you at least eight strikeouts. That's what you're looking for. And he's our second best pitcher. Think about that. (laughs) True. Nuts. True. So my next one is about Garrett Mitchell. Um, love what I see from the kid. He has all the tools to be a very good and productive center fielder going into 2023 and beyond. He's got that speed factor that we have been missing from this team for quite a while. Um, Hit for average. He's clutch. I love the experience. I've talked about this so much. I love the experience he got since he's been up in the majors. Just that, that added playoff pressure is going to be so big for him going into next year. Obviously be a little bit different, you know, you know, going through the walkthrough and going through an entire season. But, you know, Garrett Mitchell having a good center fielder, if he gets a little bit better at defense, I mean, he's all right. But gets a little bit better on defense, I think his offense is going to be phenomenal, especially his speed. I'm really, really looking forward to Garrett Mitchell 2023. You know, I have Garrett Mitchell on my list as well. <laughs> and the thing that you said at the very end was that you're excited for his speed. You want to know something nuts? Oh, boy. He's in the 99th percentile for sprint speed. Uh, you can tell. You can tell. <laughs> He's fast, dude. He's so fast. So he is in the top 1% of yeah. Major League Baseball in sprint speed. He's fast, man. I'm I'm so excited for that speed aspect next year. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, so that, that gives me the the a belief that he can be a capable center fielder, you know, as it mm-hmm. just comes down to playing in Miller Park more, understanding mm-hmm. where the walls are and stuff. Miller Park's kind of a goofy shape in center field just because of the dents in the walls where it kind of slants a little bit. It's not a perfect curve. Um, but Garrett Mitchell, so here I have Garrett Mitchell's numbers with the Major League Baseball average. So now Garrett Mitchell obviously only played a little over a month of a season. He played about six weeks in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball. But these are Garrett Mitchell's numbers compared to the Major League Baseball average. Um, he is above average in strikeout percentage, so I will say for Garrett Mitchell to improve, he's going to have to bring his strikeout numbers down. But hard hit percentage. Garrett Mitchell, 37.9. Major League Baseball average, 35.8. All right. It's a positive. Average exit velocity. Garrett Mitchell, 92.3 miles an hour. Major League Baseball average, 88.4. Again, above average. Barrel percentage. Garrett Mitchell, 10.3%. Major League Baseball, 6.7%. Okay. Sweet spot. So this is the sweet spot of the bat. Garrett Mitchell, 41.4%. Major League Baseball, 33.8%. 
Sounding good to me, man. So coming into today's game, Garrett Mitchell was batting 310, on base percentage of 365, slugging 466 for an OPS of 831. You can live with that, honestly. Dude, if he plays an entire season like that, talking all-star numbers there, honestly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then if he can mix in a little bit of power, too. The thing that I think makes Garrett Mitchell really appealing for me, because I talked about it at the All-Star break, was one of the ways the Brewers could improve their season. And I brought up a lot of opposite field hitting was one of the major things that I hit on. Garrett Mitchell, opposite field hitting, 48.3%. Major League Baseball, 25.4%. Yeah, boy. So Garrett Mitchell loves using that opposite field. Um, I think that's going to help make him a high average hitter because he's, you know, the Brewers, I'll be honest, we know what the Brewers' identity was. The Mm -hmm. Brewers were going up to bat, swinging for home runs. That was their offense, was hitting home runs. Um, There's really no sugarcoating it, nor is there any denying it. That said, Garrett Mitchell represents the first in a long line of draft picks um, geared towards contact hitters, getting on base, putting the ball in play. Mm -hmm. So Garrett Mitchell represents the first in a long line of basically three drafts in a row where the Brewers weren't drafting power hitters outside of Joey Weimer, but um, drafting guys that are going to get on base at a high clip, get on, you know, um, strikeouts fewer than walks guys that draw more walks and strikeouts um you know it's gary mitchell i have him penned in as the starting center fielder for 2023 like you can write it in ink you can write it in permanent marker you can write it in pencil if you want but i, I really truly believe that garrett mitchell is going to be the starting center fielder in 2023 um james said basketball season is almost here so is nhl season yeah i wish we had an nhl team in Wisconsin, maybe someday. Um, but I do root for the Predators because their minor league team is in Milwaukee. So we got that. Um, and I think Jake and I are going to do our basketball primer two weeks from today because that will be the yep. day before uh, opening night for the Bucks. Um, so give me your give me your next positive takeaway from Brewers season. All right. <clears throat> so my next one is, and this one is going to be a little bit sensitive because it goes back to football. It goes back to Bakhtiari. Um, it goes mm. back to paying people for what they have done for you and what you are expecting them to continue to do for you. And it is Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Um, they're worth every fucking penny, dude. Everything that we would pay them for the next five years, they're worth it. For everything that they've given us and everything they're going to give us. We have two horses. like Clydesdales, top of the line. Like Tyler just went through all these stats of Woodruff. Um, you know, there's in there's crazy stats for Burns. I mean, the guy won the Cy Young Award. That cut him, yeah. Cut him both. Yeah. Get rid of him. <laughs> but I'm gonna make a make a, another David Bakhtiari apology for him. <laughs> Dude, I love seeing your comments with the Rashawn Gary one. That was awesome. <laughs> um if you haven't checked it out, we have David Bakhtiari and Rashawn Gary apology forms. If you were seen talking shit about them the previous seasons. Um even this season, people talking shit about David Bakhtiari. Ridiculous. That's and now that, you No, know, I can't wait for Friday. I'm burning everybody because he plays so many snaps on Sunday. Um, against good pass rushers, too. Mm-hmm. But Burns and Woodruff, they're worth every single penny. We need to keep them by all costs. And, you know, Tyler has alluded to it, talking about getting rid of Hater looks like a move that was going 
to you know make us keep Burns and Woodruff. If that happens, I am 100% on board with Tyler. I'm 100% on board with everybody else that agrees with it. We need to keep those two around because that goes into my, one of my other takeaways of having great pitching. We have those two. We're good to go. Love it. James, you know, people having to forfeit game checks for missing games due to injury, that's – I saw a thing where a guy was saying, you know, guys are getting paid millions of dollars. They shouldn't be missing practice. It's like – Yeah. If if your job is to make a team money on Sunday, why would you want to risk getting hurt on Wednesday? No, practice is more important, Tyler. Dude, the, the guy legit said that, and I was done. Once the guy said that Wednesday was more important than Sunday and that practice was more important than games, I was done. I was out. I'm like, nope, I'm out. I'm going to yeah. jump out yep. of a window. Wednesday practice is more important than the game on Sunday that millions of people are watching, and the reason that you get paid millions of dollars, yep, makes sense to me. Yep, yep. Revenue comes from Wednesdays. That's it. <laughs> so on another note of people that could potentially – uh, deserve an apology, and I would say a guy that does um, for the Brewers is Christian Yelich. Um, he really thrived as a leadoff hitter. Um, I think it kind of it changed his identity. His identity in in 2018 and 2019 was that you know he was going to hit home runs you know once every four games, um, and you know just be this crazy 40 home run hitter, 30 stolen base guy. Um, he almost got his 20th stolen base today. He was pretty good base dealer this year for the Brewers, but um, his his power has kind of dissipated. Um, basically, it was just those two big years for his power. It seems now that the Christian Yelich that we have on the Brewers is like a Miami Marlins version of Christian Yelich, where he's going to hit, you know, 15 or so home runs, steal a handful of bases, hit for a high average. He's got okay. Now this is people are going to have a hard time differentiating this because Christian Yelich is a good outfielder. But he is a good outfielder based on the fact that he has range and a good glove. Mm -hmm. Specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't have the arm strength. That's why he plays right or left field instead of right field anymore. Um, That's why he put him in left field. Uh, But he has good range and he's made a lot of sliding catches, some diving catches this year. He's doesn't actually have to do that very often because he's so fast and because he gets a good jump off the ball. That he is a good outfielder. Now that said, as a leadoff hitter, Christian Yelich uh, batted 270, had an on-base percentage of 380. I'll take that all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 38% on-base percentage. His slugging was a little low, 395. He did have a handful of doubles. You know, not a ton of extra base hits, um, not a ton of home runs. But that said, Christian Yelich was healthy this year. Yeah. Um. He played yesterday. I, don't, I didn't look to see if he was playing today because I know they might have just been giving some guys playing time. But um, coming into today, he had played 153 games this year. So seeing Christian Yelich play essentially a full season, playing 153 games, um, that's encouraging because he had dealt with back and knee injuries the last two years. So getting a full season of Christian Yelich, I think, is a positive takeaway in and of itself. Okay. Then you get to Christian Yelich. Was 26th in Major League Baseball in singles. He was 28th in on-base percentage in all of baseball, not just in the NL, all of baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 7th in walk percentage. 
and fourth in all of baseball in walks. Wow. So Christian Yelich still had a pretty solid season. We'd like to see that average a little closer to 300, but, mm-hmm. you know, being at 270 instead of 240, I mean, I'll take that. 100%. You know, getting on base 38% of the time ahead of power hitters like Willie Adamas, Hunter Renfro, and Roddy Telez, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad asked how much are stats going to change with the new rules next year, having dominant pitching and getting strikeouts is huge and batting averages should all go up. That's, I mean, that's the goal is to have batting averages go up. The bases are going to be bigger next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly how much, but like the bases are going to be, I don't know, like three or four inches bigger, which is, which should encourage stealing bases a little more. I know they discussed moving second base closer to home plate to make the, the distance between the bases a little bit shorter to encourage, you know, base running um, and just to try to increase scoring in the league. Um, banning the shift, they can still move players around, but they can't put infield players in the outfield. So when Christian Yelich has a lot of those hard-hit balls that would, you know, basically go between the first and second baseman, unless the second baseman is playing like shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with the first baseman, a lot of those are going to get through. Uh, a lot of those high choppers that get fielded in the, the shallow right field area, those are the ones that are going to be gone away. Um, Christian Yelich and Rowdy Telez are two of the big ones um, that are going to be beneficiaries of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see as far as pitching goes. Um, I don't think it's going to affect Lauer too much because teams aren't going to be putting a ton of lefties in the lineup against a left-handed pitcher in Lauer. Um, Adrian Hauser is a guy that could potentially be affected by it if a team that has a ton of lefties puts a ton of lefties in against Adrian Hauser in, mm-hmm. you know, in an attempt to, to be pulling a lot of balls. So I think it could potentially affect him, um, but it's going to be a new thing. So we'll just really have to watch the beginning of the season and see how these changes really affect teams um, and affects strategies with the teams. So um, you got one more positive takeaway yet? I do. And it um, is actually you- about Eric Lauer. Um I think that he's established himself as a very good starter, if nothing else. Um, When you think about Eric Lauer and you look at his stats, uh, 11 and 7, not too shabby. I don't really care about wins, losses. I don't think they all should belong to pitchers anyways. I agree. Uh, 3.69 ERA. Nice. Nice. (laughs) 157 strikeouts and a 1.22 whip. That's not too shabby. That's your third guy. That's, That's your solid. third guy, maybe moving down to fourth at a full with a fully healthy Peralta. Yep. I will take a three six nine ERA from a fourth guy who's a lefty getting yeah. 157 strikeouts. Yep. That's that could be huge for the Brewers potentially. And then yep. think about a guy like Aaron Ashby. You can mix him in there. I mean, the Brewers have options next year for pitching. Uh, it's yep. gonna be very interesting to see how council uh, puts this roster together next if, year. If the Brewers could really truly employ their six-man rotation the way they did in 2021, mm-hmm. um, I think that that bodes really well for the Brewers this year. Corbin Burns is the only one out of those six pitchers that didn't spend time on the injured list. Yeah, think about that. Brandon Woodruff was on the injured list for a month. Freddie Peralta was on the injured list for two months and then another week. Eric Lauer was on the injured list for two weeks. Adrian Hauser was on the injured list for a month. Aaron Ashby was on the injured list for like two or three weeks. I mean, pay Corbin Burns. Like, pay him before the game ends today. Yeah, for and real. And then pay him again. Just give him a lifetime contract with a with a blank dollar section. I agree with that. Um, so my last one, 
Um, I went with Mike Brasso as a pinch hitter. Um, <laughs> for positive takeaways. He nice did really well as a pinch hitter. He finished nine for 17 on pinch hitting appearances, three home runs, 12 RBI. <laughs> listen, listen to these numbers. This is Mike Brasso as a pinch hitter. A 529 batting average, 579 on base percentage, 1.176 slugging, <laughs> and a 1755 OPS. Holy crap. <laughs> that's actually oh, that's, that's huge, awesome. man. That could get him on a spot on this roster next year, man. I agree. Not to mention, I'm pretty sure his ERA is still 0.00 in the three innings that he pitched. <laughs> Let's go, baby. He does everything. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So the Brewers, you know, it's the Brewers are gonna have a lot of turnover coming into next season. Um but, you know, that turnover yeah. creates opportunity. I think that's what a lot of people want to see is they want to see a lot of new faces on the Brewers next year to have a reason to be excited. Um, I think people kind of have that same feeling with the Bucks that they want to see a lot of turnover. You know, they want they want to see big splash trades. They want new faces. And they want to do the, you know, the, the remix of a team and not reload. You know, they don't want to bring in, you know, the same core of guys and then, you know, add a couple pieces here and there. I think the Brewers are going to have a lot of turnover next year. Um, and I think that comes from, you know, um, Wong, McCutcheon, and Narvaez being the main three free agents. Um, all the young guys that are in AAA that are basically ready to come up. Uh, I think that creates, you know, more opportunity for new faces on the roster and some new optimism for the team and some youth into the team. Yeah. Um, so the, I think turnover creates opportunity there. Um, there could be some growing pains early in the season, like we're seeing with the Packers. It's going to be a very similar situation. Maybe a lot of young guys, guys trying to find their identity, and, and the team really getting used to having different guys around on the roster. Um, so I do think that there is some opportunity there, and we and we'll talk about it. But um, let's go. Let's go to our top five moments of the season. I don't know. Did you do yours in order? Nah, I just threw them on there. Okay. I did. I didn't know. <sighs> Because I, I like them all, obviously. I picked them. Right. But it's like, I didn't know, like, is this one cooler than this one? <laughs> right. They all mean something to me. Um, yeah, I agree. I'll just go the way that I wrote them down. So sure. uh, the first one I wrote down was the walk-off on July 4th um, after Boxberger, mm. you know, had the master class with the change-ups there um, to hold the score where it was. and then Dude, for him to walk off just completely stone-faced, like, what a G. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, he just he's just like... I did that. And then, you know, Carantini, who was horrible that whole day. He was four for four with four strikeouts. Comes up to the plate and hits a walk-off homer against his former team. You know, and the fact that it happened against the Cubs makes it a little bit sweeter, but definitely one of my top five moments. That's a good one. The first one that I wrote down was Willie Adamas breaking Robin Yount's franchise record for home runs as a shortstop. Yep. Um, you know, Willie Adamas had 98 RBI this year. Yeah, think about that. To go with all of his home runs. Um, and then listen to this. Willie Adamas missed three weeks of the season yeah. and broke that record. Yeah. Willie Adamas, we'd be talking about him probably as at least a 35 home run hitter and 100 RBI pretty much guarantee. I can pretty much guarantee that Willie Adamas could get two RBI in three weeks. Oh, right, um, yeah. So we'd be potentially talking about him as a 35 home run, 40 home run guy with 100 RBI and great defense. Rocket arm. <laughs> Dude, he had 
second highest arm strength rating out of all shortstops in Major League Baseball. You could probably oh. guess who number one is. No, you tell me. It's O'Neill Cruz from the Pirates. Oh, yeah. That, that dude's sense. a freak. That he's makes fun sense. to watch. He's a, no, he's a freak. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and he's yeah, he's gonna be a problem. I mean, they're gonna suck. I mean, they got a couple of players. He's gonna be Juan Soto on the Nationals. Like, yeah. they're not gonna have any good players except for one superstar. Yeah, he's gonna dude, be the, the fact that he's so big, like it's like it's weird just, that he plays shortstop at that size, <laughs> right? Like, what are you doing? Get over to first base and catch everything. He's the he's that one freaking kid. That got held back and plays AAU with the 14-year-olds, even though he's definitely 17. <laughs> That's what he looks like. O'Neal, get in the outfield. You're three heads taller than everybody out here. Get right. on the outfield. It's huge. Yeah, he's going to be fun to watch. It's going to suck because he plays good against us. All right, give me your next give me your next top five moment. Um, I mean, I have I'll, – I'll just say it since you already said it, but I have Willie setting the, the home run mark too because I was – because, like I said, when he did it, Robin Yon's probably the best player in our team history. So for mm-hmm. him to break a record from the best player in our team's history, that's that says something. Willie definitely uh, is making a name for himself. Become, he's a, become a fan favorite. Uh, he's also very, very down-to-earth, very humble guy for how good he is. Um, always smiling, always having a good time. So I always appreciate players like Willie Adamas. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that one next. All right, my next one is the the five nothing comeback against the Yankees. Um, being down five to nothing in the first two innings, coming all the way back, Garrett Mitchell hitting a walk off shot right back up the middle to win the game. That was the largest comeback of the season. Um, right. I had that one in my top five moments. I I enjoyed watching that one live. All right, so if you're coming into the season, and I would ask you, what Brewers potentially have a shot at three home runs? You're not picking Colton Wong. Oh, no. Yeah, he'd probably be 10th on the list. Right. And you're going to have to put him in a situation like in Cincinnati because they give up a lot of home runs. Well, that happened. So his three home run game against Cincinnati definitely had to be on my list because it was just like he's, you know, he has his career high in home runs now. Um, He's coming up big. He was really good in the second half of the season, I thought. Um, you know, we talk about, we talked about Woody being good, but Colton Wong was very good in the second half of the season. Um, so three home run day in Cincy, you know, and then, uh, another multi home run game happened that same series with, with Renfro, but we're used to that with him, you know, (laughs) Renfro hit like eight home runs in Cincinnati this year. Yeah. Um, so my next one is also home run related. Uh, I brought the six home run game against the Cubs. Um, and the fact that it came exactly 16 years after the last time that the Brewers hit six home <laughs> runs against the Cubs yeah, was, was just entertaining. So Jace Peterson, Christian Yelich, Willie Adamas, Andrew McCutcheon, and Hunter Renfro twice, six home runs against the Cubs. Um, that was my, my next top five moment. I enjoyed that game. We like shitting on Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Um, yeah, amazing. right. <laughs> so... I uh, my next one is Burns taking the lead for most ten strikeout games. Tyler mm. obviously spoiled the next part of mine with Woodruff becoming second on the list, but um, yeah, him setting that record and just burning through the record books, he's going to be known as the best pitcher that, in our history if he isn't already. Yeah, right, burning through. I didn't even realize I made that pun. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he's just mowing people down, striking people out, being sideburns. I just I want to be the first one on the train of like, let's just give him a bazillion gazillion dollars and just make sure he doesn't leave. Because <laughs> I don't want to be I don't want to be a minor league team for for big market teams because a lot of teams are like that because there is no salary cap. We groom these players up. You know, and we got little kids watching games too, and they fall in love with these guys and they want to be these guys as little kids. And then, you know, they get shipped off to LA or they get shipped off to New York or they get shipped off to Dallas or wherever, right? It's just like I don't want that. So I want Burns and I want Woody to stay because I don't I don't want that. Hey, it's the Wisconsin the Wisco blokes, huh? Hey, you be you come back on Friday. We got something for you on Friday. <laughs> um on the on the subject of of keeping guys around and you know being the minor league team, I would much rather go this route of trying to make the playoffs every year. Yeah, Isaac said Hydra players, LA buying everybody. Um, I would rather be trying to make the playoffs every year, even mm-hmm. if it means being on the fringe in one season like 2022, than to have to be so all in, like 2008, 2011. That you know, if it doesn't work out this year, we're not sniffing the playoffs for another five years. Like I don't, I don't like that. I would rather have that opportunity to to get into the playoffs every year and then go on a run. That's right. that's where David Stearns has the, the quote of you know more bites at the apple. That's what he's talking about is making the playoffs more often and just trying to be the hottest team in Major League Baseball when the playoffs start, 100%. as opposed to trying to be some overpowering powerhouse that has a chance to win it all once every three to five to seven years. So my next takeaway is Eric Lauer's game against the Phillies. Mm -hmm. Eric Lauer against the Phillies. This I don't even remember what day this was. I didn't write down the date. Um, Yeah, James, as long as you make the playoffs, you have a chance. Um, Eric Lauer versus the Phillies pitched six innings, five hits, one walk, 13 strikeouts. Uh, that was Eric Lauer's career high in strikeouts. That was a really fun game to watch, watching him strike out the Phillies left and right. Um, so that was my next top five moment. What's up, Simon? That one that one was a little low-key. I like that one. I like that one. I had to look um, back through my notes and, and just look for where I had, like, multiple exclamation marks. Uh-huh. That was a good one. I was not expecting to hear that. Um, my next one's a little shot at everybody. I talked about counsel and my takeaways. So I'm going to talk about him in my moments. Uh, Council setting the wins record for Brewers manager. Mm, that's a good definitely, one. Definitely, definitely top five. Um, people just need to chill out. <laughs> you know, and last week we had Scary Alvarez on. He talked about how he had uh, a losing record for a few years. Um, and, you know, nobody was calling for his head. Um, it's just with the times. I mean, imagine. have a losing record this year. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, think about. Imagine Matt LaFleur has a losing record. You know, say we're three years from now and Rodgers is gone and Matt LaFleur has a losing record. Everybody will be calling for his head by week seven. Guaranteed. 100% guaranteed. And it's the saddest shit in the world because yeah. of everything that he did before that moment just means nothing. And it's the same thing. Like I said, it's like when it comes to players, it's the same with coaching that people just want to see a new face to, to feel optimism. That just makes no sense to me. 
I don't know how to explain that. It I does just don't. sometimes. Like we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Badgers in a little bit here with Mike, and but we're gonna that talk wasn't about, a, that was about that's all Chris, but right, that's a whole no. different situation because that's a necessity exactly. at this point, right? Like right, and yeah, like you said, we'll get into it. But like when you looked at Chris, I looked at him the last couple of years, and I'm watching him on the sidelines, and he's just sitting like this, and I'm looking into his eyes, and I'm like, there's nothing in there. Yeah. He's he's not there. There's nothing in there. So that's a so, situation where it's 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 necessary. But getting rid of Craig Council right now makes no sense. I don't feel that way with Craig Council. When I look at Craig Council, I don't think, oh, there's a guy that has no fire, no passion, no whatever. Right. When right. I look at Craig Council and I see that he's got that that stoic look on his face, I feel like he's just just wheels are just constantly churning. That's how I feel yeah. about Craig Council. I feel like he's just constantly thinking baseball. He's trying to think two, three, four, five moves ahead. So that's how I feel about Council. I don't feel like it's a lack of passion for Council. I think it's that he's trying to get ahead of the next move in the game. That's what I think Craig Council is doing when he's just, you know, standing there and not showing a ton of emotion. I'd agree with that. And, you know, a little bit you have to you have to show that poise in those moments every mm-hmm. once in a while for your players to know, like, it's okay. You know, that happens. Mm-hmm. We're going to be okay. We're going to go make the next play. So I, under, I understand yep. not being all fiery, you know, going crazy at every second, and I'm not asking for that either. Mm-hmm. But there just is moments where you do need that as well, you know. So for me, it's it's council setting the re- the wins record. You know, he set the wins record. He's the winningest manager in our history. Get that through your fucking heads, people. It's not take going him anywhere. Twenty years to do it. He's been here for eight. He's a very good manager. So if we yep. get rid of him, you, there's no guarantee that the next guy is better or as good as him. Plain and yep. simple. Um, you know, on that same thing you mentioned, you know, it's necessary to have a guy who can show you that, you know, that um, that that sense of calm. Um, that goes into, like, a lot of times, you know, he would say, you know, we have a game tomorrow. So when we say that there's more games in the season – You know, obviously in the beginning of the season, you know, we say there's more games as in there's more opportunities to win. But towards the end of the season, when we say you still got to focus on the next game where there's still more games, it becomes not that there's more games to win, but you cannot focus on the losses when you're in must-win situations. I agree. So that I felt, I felt that needed to be said because there was a lot of people saying, oh, is there still blah, 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 many games left? Oh, there's still lots of games left. No, he's saying you have to focus on the next game because you need to focus on winning that game because your games are must win. Yeah. Not because there's plenty of time to still win games, but because you cannot dwell on losses when you need to win your next game. You need to forget about the loss. It's like um, Kobe Bryant used to say it all the time. He's always confident taking his next shot, even if he's missed the last 10, because he's not thinking about them anymore. There's no point in thinking about them. You can't change them. You can think about it after the fact and, you know, focus on what you can improve. And that's what Jake and I are going to do. We're going to focus on how to improve things. And that's how we're going to um, do our offseason analysis for the Brewers. We're going to focus on what can improve. Um, my dad brought up with the Patriots want a new coach. They had a losing record. Uh, I mean, I'll take Bill Belichick if New England doesn't want him. Man, fucking A, bro. And I love LaFleur, but. There's levels of this shit, and I still yeah. think that Belichick sits atop that. I um, agree. James commented, you can't focus on games you lost. It's over. You can't do anything about it anymore. And that's where I love the quote, I never lose. I either learn or I win. You know, like, yep, I either I win or I learn. That's 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 the 
that's the way to go through life. Um, that's that's so how we, we run shit over I've here. been listening to a book the last couple of days. It's called Unfuck Yourself. And in this book, he says a quote that really resonated with me being a sports, you know, a sports, you know, call me an analyst, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would like to be, I would like to think that, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he said this um, to plan for victory and learn from defeat. And I think that really, um, that really represents the way that Jake and I focus on, on the way that we talk is, you know, we talk about the way that our teams can win, even if they're games that we didn't pick our teams to win. Like none of us on the Packers shows on Friday nights, picked the Packers go 17 and 0. When mm-hmm. Jake, Mike and I did our predictions for the Badgers at the beginning of the season, none of us predicted them to go 12 and 0. I don't think any of us predicted them to go, you know, six and six or eight and four, even. If that's how it finishes, but you know, we're still going to talk about every single game and this is how they can win. Or if they do these things, they'll win. So we're planning for victory. And then when the games are over, if the Badgers lose, we're going to look at what they can improve. If the Packers lose, we're going to look at what they can improve and then how they can do that. And we're going to learn from the losses. That's the same thing that the players do. They're going to go back and they're going to look at their mistakes and they're going to look at what they're doing when they're making those mistakes. And they're going to figure out how to correct them. You mean we're not going to sit here and be like, fuck this guy. He sucks. Get rid of him. We're not going to yeah, do that. Exactly. You don't want to do that. That's the easy way out. No, I don't want to do that. It is. It's so annoying. Um, <laughs> exactly, James. That's the thing. You got to have a short-term memory when it comes to losing. That's that's what it is. Because if you're focused on the last shot, you're not going to be focused on the next one. Exactly. 100%. So my last top five moments of the season was Christian Yelich and his cycle against the Reds. Um, yes. Hit John said fire everybody. Um, <laughs> Christian Yelich's cycle against the Reds. Um, Hunter Renfro joined Christian Yelich as a Reds killer this year, but Christian Yelich was the fifth player since 1901 to have three cycles, um, and he is the only one to have three cycles all against the same team. Man, only player. That's tough for Cincy, bro. That's tough. They had a long only year. player in history to have three cycles against the same team, Christian Yelich. Now give us Joey Votto, you bastards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I thought Yelich was done. Yeah, he's done. He's washed up. He's overpaid. Yelich is Yelich is fine. If he if he can give me 280 to 300 next year, continue to play good defense, continue to give me a good on-base percentage, I am 100% okay with it. Does it suck that he's not hitting home runs? Yeah. Did I expect him to hit 40 home runs every every year? No, because that's unsustainable. But a high average and playing good defense, that's things that you can do that will help this team win games. Let's say let's say next last year that Christian Yelich bats lead off for most of the season. Say he okay. bats 2 287. Okay. Has a 380 on base percentage like he has now. Say he hits 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Okay. How are you not happy with that? Because he didn't hit 40 home runs and he's not in the MVP voting. I don't know. People like the bitch. <laughs> well, I mean, we know that guy. We spend enough time on social media. Good Christ. Dude, I can't. <laughs> I don't understand how you do it so much. Sometimes I look, I'm like, man, Tyler's everywhere today. How the hell is he dealing with all these people? <laughs> uh, trying to Trying to understand why people cling so desperately to their negativity. It's tough. I'll be honest with you. It's tough. There's so much negativity that it's hard to always stay positive and it's hard to not get super snarky with people. Yeah. 
I have a tendency to get a little snarky with people. Like if you say something negative, like I'll say, you know, you can focus on positives or, you know, there's still positive takeaways from this. And then yeah. somebody comes back and they they do the, Oh, your head's in the clouds. You're nothing but sunshines and rainbows. I assure you, you will get the SpongeBob chicken letters where it's one capital, one lowercase, one capital, one yeah, lowercase. Yeah, yeah. You will get that in my next response to your thing. Like I'll try and have a conversation with you, but if you're still just going to be a hard shell dick, like yeah. now you're getting snarky Tyler. See, like I like conversing with the fans. You know, part of the reason we love doing the show live is because we like the comments. Exactly. You know? But <laughs> the point I'm at now in my life, I'm just gonna be completely blunt with you guys right now. When I am talking to somebody, right? And like I said, I like conversating, I like talking football. Like truly, I could talk football with Bears, Vikings. The moment I see somebody start saying some dumb shit. I turn into an asshole. No lie. I turn into a straight <laughs> asshole because I'm like, this guy's either trying to troll me or he's fucking dumb. And I'm just not having any of it. My patience level <laughs> is just zero now for all those people. Because I learned, and if and I really feel that if, if I can do this, anybody is capable of doing this. We have all the resources in our lives today. Laptops, cell phones, all the website resources. You can watch games, research shit. You can look up shit. To make sure you don't sound like a fucking moron. You can fact check people. There, yeah. You have that ability. So for people to still go out there and just sound like jackasses, it's like, I'm done, bro. I am going <laughs> to kill you now. I'm going to grill you in this There's, conversation. And, you know, you can go you can go and watch shows like ours, for example. Or you can go yeah. watch Andy Herman, who talks about the Packers every day. You can watch on YouTube, like, how this and this works. You can Google stuff. Google's free, and you can look stuff up. There's tons of places to find statistics and stuff. You can find out if things are true and accurate or if they're false and just plain dumb. You can literally. The thing that bothers me is that you can show somebody that they're wrong, and they'll still be like, "Yeah, but that's not what that means." Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Ah, and you know, I do enjoy trolling. Only one guy, and Isaac knows the guy, but. I mean, you know the guy too, but you don't want to deal with him because he's a giant jackass. But I like trolling that guy, right? But you could literally fact check yourself. That shit bothers the hell out of me that people are saying stuff. And they just it's like, do you really believe that? Like, did you not check? Like, Google's the number one search engine for a reason, people. Like, <laughs> come on. Dude, that shit just yeah. bothers me. So I just I I give you a lot of credit for dealing with idiots. I'm just going to call them idiots. I mean, because there's, I I try to stay, I really try to stay in tune with what people are talking about because then I want to come here. Like you said, we do the show live so we can interact with people. I want to see what people are talking about Mm -hmm. to be able to talk to people about what people are talking about. A lot of the people that watch this show, um, like James and Isaac and and Simon and, and Tim and, and Taylor, a lot of these guys are in a lot of the same groups that we're in. They see a lot of the same conversations so we can talk about these conversations because people are seeing the same people say the same shit every day. Um, hey, Mikey Fresh knows his shit, bro. I mean, <laughs> seriously, Mikey knows his shit. That's one of the reasons we allow him on this show because we care, you know. So it's yeah. nice to have Mike on the show because I know he cares too, and he's hurt. It, he's it, hurt just as much as us with with the shit going on in Madison. That's the thing. Like we we talk about it with our Friday show. The reason we have four people on the show on Fridays is because it's more perspective. It's more points of view. 
on things, you know, like Jake and I, we 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 spend a lot of time researching the things we talk about yeah. to feel that we know what we're talking about. That being said, Jake and I don't think or proclaim to be the smartest person when it comes to analysis of the Bucks, Packers, Badgers, and Brewers. Nope, still learning just like everybody else. But I fact and there's there's always different ways to see things. So Jake and I are never gonna say that we are the only way to think. You know, you have to agree with what we say or you're dumb. But that being said, Jake and I do put a lot of work into the stuff that we talk about. Mm-hmm. So that being said, you know, we're gonna talk about how the Brewers can improve, what they can do to improve. Um, I think we're gonna evaluate players in the offseason. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. just do them kind of gradually, maybe like two a week or or maybe once a month we'll we'll do some some evaluations with the brewery players that um from 2022 but um is there is there anything else you want to say about the brewers this season i know it was earlier than we wanted the season to end but they had a good year uh had fun a lot of accolades you know i brought up all the all the you know team records that were broken um you brought up an mlb record that the that corbin burns did so and for people to just sit here and act like you can't have fun is absolutely ridiculous. Um, thank you for a good season. I had fun watching you. I enjoyed it. You guys make summer livable. You know, some days when it's 100 and fuck and my kids are pissing me off, I know I can turn on the Brewers and I can enjoy and space out for a few hours. All right. Well, we will we will revisit the Brewers. We're going to come back to them. But, you know, the thing that we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the Badgers. We got the Bucks coming up soon. They play in Abu Dhabi tomorrow. Um, we're going to be talking about the Bucks soon. But That's we're going to switch to the Badgers for now. And we're going to let Mike back in the show for better or for worse. We'll see. Hey, Mikey Fresh. Hey, he requested to come on. Mikey requested to come on. He did. So you, better, he did. you better have some and shit, man. <laughs> I feel it was a good time to have him on was to was to talk about the potential replacements for Paul Christ. But um, you know, I think we can kind of probably breeze through the Illinois game. Like we know what happened. We know that it's the reason that Paul Chris got fired. Um, so I don't know if there's anything specifically you guys want to throw out there when it comes to the offense. I do still think that Graham Mertz, despite making some bad decisions still made some very good throws in this game. Yes. Uh, the touchdown that he threw to Isaac Garendo in the back of the end zone was an absolute dime. Uh, there was a third and 16 play that he um, had a great throw to Kimmeray DK. There was another one later on that he had a great catch and, and a great throw to uh, Keontes Lewis. So there were still great plays in this game despite some poor decisions, but I don't know if there's anything you guys want to throw out there about the offense. Before you go. I fucking hate casual fans, dude. I had two conversations on Saturday with casual fans, and I knew they were casuals in the first 30 seconds because they were like, oh, man, our offense sucks because we have to get a different quarterback. I'm like, yep, this fucking guy didn't watch the game. I'm not talking to you. Turned around. Next guy, fucking idiot. All right, cool. Let's go home. I'm ready to leave. It's just like watch the damn game if you're going to make a comment about it. I don't I don't comment on makeup and new products that come out because I don't – fucking watch what comes out i talk about football because i watch football you know like fuck man casuals anyways mikey floor is yours welcome back what's going on can't hear you oh hold on hold on we good now i think we're good now good all right you're good now yeah thanks for having me back i wish it was better circumstances but you know here we are um i'll start with saturday's game i mean specifically i mean 
our offensive line, I, I think that was the biggest call out in my view. I just, we get, we've gotten out Wisconsin, if that makes sense this year for the most yes. part. We're supposed to, we're supposed to like completely dominate the line in a scrimmage. Brett Beal comes into our house. He returns the favor and does it right back to us with Illinois versus uh, Wisconsin. So I think the biggest takeaway from this game specifically, forget the Paul Chris stuff. Our, our offensive line like needs so much work. I feel like from yeah. collectively, I get it. We're rotating some guys around to fit certain positions, but um, some injuries. Yeah. Some injuries, but I mean, I, I still, you know, with a program like ours, I still somewhat find that inexcusable. I, I feel like enough guys should at least be ready to go to fill in these roles, especially with our kind of a background, what we pride ourselves in. So mm. Can't get over the fact that, you know, I mean, Jake, you didn't even play a goddamn game and Braylon Allen had only two more rushing yards than you. You know what I mean? Like, it's though we don't set the line of scrimmage. Like, yeah, Braylon only had, I think, two or three rushing yards all game. That's not going to help us at all. And Graham could even have, and like you said, he had a couple good throws and he can have even an above average game. And But when you throw a stat like that out with Braylon, I mean, that's not going to put us in line to succeed, to win the game. So, um, offensively, that was my biggest takeaway. Our, I mean, it's been like a, you know, week by week thing. I mean, it's an obvious, you know, um, call out to make, I think at this point. So, uh, that was be a hard big. pass on bringing back Berger, Isaac. I'm totally fine with the three running backs that we have instead yeah. of Jalen Berger. I don't think, uh, yeah, I know you're just joking, Isaac, because Isaac likes to do that. But I don't think, uh, I don't think running back depth is, a, is our issue. I don't think this team has an identity. I don't think they know what they want to be. That's that. Truthfully, like we brought in this new offensive coordinator, and we're like, oh, okay, we're about to throw the ball around, but we're Wisconsin, so we run the ball. So I don't think that the identity of this roster was, you know, put in place. Obviously, we have been watching the Badgers our entire lives, so we're like. Badgers are going to run the damn ball. We're going to hand it off about 25, 30 times, maybe 35, maybe 40. I don't know. Yeah, any given Saturday, right? But then, you know, we're like, we have this four-star quarterback. So I think they have uh, a lot of self-reflecting to do in Madison. And it's going to be a lot of, what are you made of in here? That's really what I think the rest of this season is about. That's how I'm judging it. Not by wins and losses. Let me see what kind of man you are. Because it's going to be, it's gut check time. Let's just say that. I think a good person to bring up is Nick Herbig. <laughs> um, Nick Herbig talked – I shouldn't say talked. He tweeted about it a lot um, about keeping that that fire, keeping that that mentality of hating to lose and to wanting to win. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he had a, a tweet about Paul Christ, about, you know, being sad to see him go. He was still liked by a lot of the players despite yes. – you know, yes. people saying on on Facebook or Twitter that he lost the locker room, and you know, none of his players respected him and stuff like that. And like, he was well respected. <clears throat> so, you know, when it comes to the defense, um, the amount of penalties that were called was sickeningly annoying. That whole stretch, be like inside the like twelve yard line, and there was basically five plays in a row that all had penalties on them. One of them was a pass interference that got called after Shaw got hit in the face mask. Like, I don't even know what you do at that point. You just throw your hands up and let them score just so you can stop dealing with the yellow flags flying at you. 
I am going to say I don't really have an answer for it, but you know, Herbing and Benton were really the only two um, yeah. that that made a, a big impact on this game. But I don't know if there's um, a lot that you guys want to say about the defense at all. Mikey, were you at the game on Saturday? No, I was in Madison. Okay, I was at, okay. Uh, a couple establishments uh, watching the game, but I was uh, basically, okay. you guys know, I was messaging you like a play-by-play with how frustrated I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going on, yeah. So. I, I was mad when I found out Mike was in Madison because we didn't meet up. But at the game, there was a Is that where you got that visor? <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's a dope sweater, I won't lie. But – there was a ref, and he chucked this flag like 30 yards. And we were playing so bad that I was just like amazed. I was like, dude, that guy was a fucking shortstop. Guaranteed. <laughs> he has the arm strength. Like, he chucked that son of a bitch. I'm like, wow. I'm telling everybody in my sense, you see that? That guy chucked it. I don't know. I, it was just – it was crazy. Dude, it was at least 30 yards. No lie. Positive crazy. takeaways. I like it. But it's like – also on the other end of the spectrum, how the fuck did you see that from 30 yards away? Oh man! Probably the same guy that missed the goddamn delay a game in in Green Bay, but we won't yeah. go there. <laughs> we'll go there on Friday, I'm sure. Oh, we're talking about that on Friday. But anyways, I just wanted to talk about that. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk coaching candidates. What do you think? All right, you ready to do it? This is going to be yes. interesting. I'm really interested. None of us know who <laughs> who the other ones have on their list. I'm I'm pretty sure that I know at least one of them that's on, on Mike and Jake's list, just because I checked with them to make sure that if they were going to have them, that I didn't yes. put the guy on my list, but I'm interested to see who else we come up with and why we come up with these, um, these potential coaches. Um, Mike, how many do you have? So I, I did four. I wanted okay. to go two to that have ties to Wisconsin and two that don't. So I kind okay. I wanted to break it up. Right. I stuck with three, so I'll let you guys go first and give one each. Mike, you and then I'll give my first one. So, Mike, you were you are the guest, so I will let you go first. Yeah. Okay, this first one is real, way out of the box. This guy currently is not coaching. Uh, okay. He's currently a Fox analyst. No, it's not Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> so, I think we. Should, I thought one idea would be to kick the tires and give Chris Peterson a call. Really. Before, the former coach at Boise State, huh. he has been in the college football playoff before. If we're going to talk strictly winning percentage, he's got an 80% winning percentage throughout his whole tenure with all the schools he's been at. I mean, Boise State, Washington, not exactly the Blue Bloods, but very successful programs that he has gone to and made them a winner at the end of the day. Um you know, obviously Boise State. We can talk about the game against Oklahoma with the whole uh, was not Statue of Liberty. Yeah, Statue of Liberty play. I yeah. mean, Washington. He he built one of the best defenses in the country until they lost to Alabama. I think it was like twenty to nothing in the college football playoff. But mm -hmm. uh, to me, in my view, he seems like a guy that you like could adapt to the Midwest. Uh, you know, keep the recruiting you know strong in that area as well. Um, overall. So um, I thought I wanted to be like really outside of the box on at least one of these. And I think, uh, yeah, he was my number four uh, candidate for me. Okay. Uh, Pat, we all, we all wanted to acknowledge, and I, I should have said this before we started, we all think that there's a, a very solid possibility at the very least that Jim Leonard remains as head coach. We know he's going to for the rest of the season. None of us have Jim Leonard on our list. 
for that reason, because we all believe that it's a very strong possibility that he remains the head coach. Um, but should he decide that he wants to just be the defensive coordinator and that's the job that he wants and, and loves, like, you know, we're going to give potential um, candidates outside of Jim Leonard should he decide that he just wants to be the, the defensive coordinator. Um, so, Jake, I will let you give your first one. All right. So, Lincoln Riley's been going crazy the last couple of years. Uh, he obviously had a couple of Heisman winners with Oklahoma. He's going over to USC. He looks like he may have a potential Heisman trophy candidate in at quarterback again. And, you know, I want to create a little brother rivalry. Uh, rivalry. Uh, Garrett Riley, offensive coordinator for TCU. I really want an offensive guy. Not that I wouldn't be happy with Jim, just because of his love for Madison. I, I have mostly offensive guys. <laughs> um, I, I have mostly offensive guys myself. Um, but I really want an offensive guy. Uh, bring a new, new attitude to this team. A younger guy. You know, he can adapt. I mean, Garrett Riley, uh, I want to get on that before it becomes too popular, but I think uh, I think he, he'd be a good, good, good fit. That'd be interesting, to say the least. All right, so I have <laughs> one that's not not a terribly sexy option. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one first. I like my other two a little bit more, I think, but I do think this guy would make sense. Uh, I went with Bill O'Brien um, okay. as my first one. Um, he's got, um, head coaching experience with Penn state, um, obviously in the NFL with the Texans. Um, he's been the Alabama defensive coordinator for two years. This is his third year. He is actually a, a quote unquote free agent after this year, his coaching contract with, with Alabama expires in, in 2023. Um, so he will be, you know, available should he not come to a contract extension with Alabama to remain as their offensive coordinator. But, um, you know, he's run successful offenses, obviously, in, in Houston when he had Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, um, and Carlos Hyde. Uh, some of the best year the Texans had were when Bill O'Brien was the head coach. Um, he also went 15-9 and nine at Penn State in 2012 and 2013. That was right after all the Joe Paterno stuff happened. Um, and really nobody wanted to care about Penn State. And then Penn State was actually pretty solid. He was the Big Ten Coach of the Year in 2012. So he's got Big Ten experience, too. Um, and this, I think Bill O'Brien makes a good candidate. Um, I think Badger fans that want to keep the identity of the team and they don't want to do the, you know, I don't want the Badgers to go to a spread offense or an RPO-style offense. I think Bill O'Brien would be a good candidate for the people that feel that way. Because Bill O'Brien's offensive scheme, um, this is something he did in, in New England, was basically the quote-unquote take what the defense gives you scheme. Mm -hmm. So it was in New England, it was when they had Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and Wes Welker, and they were basically just dink, dunk, dink, dunk, basically take everything you want to do in the middle of the field, and they're going to put a whole bunch of guys there and and just play the levels on the defense. Um, and they did it in Wes Welker at 1,500 yards in a season. <laughs> as a slot receiver. Yeah. Um, so um, also worked in with a lot of tight end play, which is something the Badgers have actually been known for in their history too. So I think that kind of fits the identity there. Um, and it does also work with several running backs. So, you know, the Patriots, they've, they were kind of the first one to start that one, two, three potential um, 
running back rotation instead of that that three down bell cow back type scenario. Um, they use their wide receivers on a lot of screens and handoffs and sweeps. Some of the Badgers have worked in a little bit, but not a ton. Um, they work in a lot of play fakes, which is something that Jake and I have been calling for, I feel like, since we started this show. We want to oh see more God. play fakes and more play action. My um, face is as red as Mike's sweatshirt on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's just going to drop back and throw it. <laughs> um, they do also um, – he likes to run deep shot plays. And when he does that, he keeps extra running backs and tight ends in for extra blockers to make sure that the pass protection is available in those scenarios where they want to take the deep shots. Doesn't pay to send four guys deep if your guy only can hold on to the ball for two seconds. So Bill O'Brien would prioritize the protection for that. I think that's where Grant Mertz could actually kind of thrive is by having time to throw because I feel like that's where his bad decisions come in is when he feels rushed and he's trying to make a play and he doesn't have time to kind of diagnose what's actually going on. Um, So I do think, you know, that would be a good way to – innovate Wisconsin's offense without giving up so much of their identity. So Bill so, O'Brien's my first one. Mike, who is your, who's your second one? All right. I'm going to keep this as simple as possible. I'm going to stay in the SEC and I'm also going to keep, uh, it's also going to be an offensive coordinator. I got Todd Munkin as my number third. Ah, dang it. There it is. I knew somebody was going to vulture one. Todd, I have, I have him on my list as well. Yep. Offensive coordinator at Georgia. A uh, couple things stuck out to me. I mean, number one, I mean, he's had so many offensive coordinator stints in the NFL. I mean, starting with like Tampa Bay, Cleveland. I think those are the two, actually. Um, Cleveland was his most recent one, yeah. Yeah, Cleveland, yep. And he was, he's been the offensive coordinator at Georgia since 2020. So basically the COVID year. Um, yep. do, they also run a pro style system, which is, if that's something that we want to keep up in Madison, try and you know, bring in recruits, more appeal to them. You know, that's a possibility as well. And I mean, I think most importantly too, I mean, whether it's, you know, getting like talking to Graham Mertz or like future quarterback candidates, I mean, this guy just turned in a walk-on quarterback into a potential Heisman Trophy winner in Stetson Bennett. I mean. Definitely getting him drafted, I'll tell you that. Yeah, this dude dude (laughs) might win, win, win the whole you know, Heisman trophy case this, this year. So um, those were the, a lot of the things that stuck out to me pro style. And I mean, quarterbacks are going to be attracted. I feel like to play for this dude. I mean, he can obviously develop um, when he can turn a walk on into one of the best players in the country. I think that's volumes in itself. He would obviously have, you know, those NFL connections too, whether it's with hiring additional assistance uh, when leaving Kirby smarts crew down there in Georgia. So um, I think he would, you know, I think he would blend in fairly nicely to the program. And it's a lot of like com- commonalities, I think, with what Wisconsin kind of already does. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, not outside the program, but, you know, there's some common ground there. So that was my uh, my number three there. All right. I'm going to I'm going to go back to me just because I have the same guy. So I just want to add more on to the same That's person because I do have him on my list as well. Um not only did he lose the starting quarterback and then have to turn to Stetson Barnett, uh, he also lost his top two wide receivers, his top left tackle, and they still won the national championship. Yep. That'll do. So, <laughs> um, that offense, they oh, do also oh. run a lot of. Yeah, they do also run a lot of play action, which again, big fans. <laughs> um, yeah. want to see a lot of play action with Wisconsin. Um, 
So it does rely, his offensive scheme does rely a lot on quarterbacks pre-snap decision-making. So we would have to see, you know, Graham Mertz is a smart kid. So I think he's perfectly capable of, of, you know, diagnosing some pre-snap stuff. Um, The year before, um, before Todd Monken was there, Georgia was 49th in scoring and 36th in offensive yards per play. Um, Two years later, they are ninth in scoring and fourth in offensive yards per play. Wow. Big jumps there. Um, And they actually, you know, this is interesting because I think this would also fit with the Badgers identity a little bit. Um, The first, the first year before, or the last last year before he got there, Georgia was throwing the ball on 49% of plays. Since 2020 or into 2022 now, three years later, they're still only throwing the ball on 52% of plays. So it's not a huge jump in throwing. So it's not like if if the Badgers go get a guy like this, that they're going to start throwing the ball 60, 65, 70% of the time. That's actually not the case. It's still going to be pretty close to a 50-50 split. Um, you know, and then it's built on a lot of, you know, throwing the ball when the defense stacks the box and running the ball when the defense puts a lot of DBs on the field. Um so, you know, it makes it makes the the defensive alignment more advantageous to the offense. And I think that is something also that could benefit Graham Mertz should the Badgers decide to go for a new um, head coach candidate. So I just wanted to add on to Mike, who vultured one of my guys. I figured it was going to happen. But as long as nobody has my number one guy, uh, I'll be happy. But, Jake, give me your give me your second one. I'll just do back to back real quick, because one, the, one of the guys I'm going to go really short because I know Mike has him. Um, so next one is Lance Leopold. I know Mike has him. I'm just going to leave this. I'm just going to leave it like this. The guy fucking wins. That's it. That's all that matters, right? So that was my number two guy. Uh, my number three guy, actually. My number two guy, I'm actually excited about this one. The more I like read and was doing research, I was like, this could be interesting. Alex Golesh, Tennessee offensive coordinator slash tight ends coach. Now. I want you to just listen for a sec. So the year before he arrived, Tennessee, and this year, Tennessee is the second highest points per game average in the entire country. They were averaging 1.61 plays per minute. That's a, that's probably pretty similar, similar to the Wisconsin pace. Yeah. This year, they're running three plays per minute. <laughs> Think of Damn. that pace. Now, Damn. the Big Ten is known for – Kind of like the NFC North where it's like black and blue. Like, we're going to go at you. We're going to run straight at you. We're old school. Damn. I think having an offense that is predicated on pace, you know, and, and you know, getting players in and out, I think, you know, getting a certain quarterback uh, to fit that style, I think that's something that Wisconsin could actually use that would I'm be. I'm trying to wrap my head around one play every 20 seconds. Exactly. Think it's... about that in Wisconsin. <laughs> Think about Braylon Allen running at you three times a minute. Damn. Ouch. That's all that I'm going to say. Ouch. Seconds. Just need that. Aaron Rodgers is like Aaron Rodgers is punching the air right now. Just thinking about that. Yeah. Think of you know, step the fucking ball. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, seriously, man. I mean, I think that you know a change of pace. You know because. That'd be a radical change of pace. Damn, it would. would. I'm still, I'm blown away by that. He was on the, he was on the UCF uh, coaching staff when they went undefeated, and then he came over to Tennessee, and now Tennessee's offense is just 
skyrocketing, going through the roof. Um, he graduated from Ohio State. That kind of sucks. But also, he's around winning football, and he knows winning ways. He was there when Urban Meyer was there, so he saw a lot of stuff. You know, probably learned a ton from Urban Meyer. Um, I'm just saying, um, Alex Gullish, Gullish, um, he could be interesting. And I like that he was a tight ends coach because Wisconsin's always big on tight ends. So if he could be the OC, run fast pace, and get us some good tight end play like good old Madison is used to do, I'd be on pace with that. We could probably use some tight ends. The Badgers are down to one. Yeah, um, for real. After their injuries, so. Yeah. All right, Mike, who's your who's your number two? Okay, I went back and forth with this, and this would be, I think, a little too optimistic because this guy is a head coach. He is doing, you know, pretty well right now. Um, I know I wanted to try and stick to offense more, but I can't leave this guy out because I he was one of the favorite assistants that Wisconsin had. And my number two uh, state, my, um, you know, when he did come into Wisconsin, I mean, I know what everything was a question mark, right? I mean, we brought in Gary Anderson. This is the one good thing Gary Anderson did was to bring in this guy. He did something right. He hired Dave Aranda. I mean, it wouldn't be too much of an adjustment, excuse me, defensively from a schematic standpoint. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the guy that did bring in the 3 4 to Wisconsin. And to this day, it is still intact. It is still there. So I think that transition would not be the hardest, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, starts at, you know, I mean, through, before Wisconsin, you know, he's at, you know, Utah State, obviously has a great year there with Gary, was at Hawaii for a few years prior to that, gets to Wisconsin, has one of the top defenses for a few years. Then he goes and gets hired at LSU, goes there and wins, uh, not only wins, but wins a national championship with uh, Joey Burrow and company at the helm. So, I mean, that's, you know, that alone, is, you know, speaks volumes, I think. And then, then he goes to Baylor. Um, he takes that program from. Well, I guess it, it wasn't too bad because Matt before because Matt Rule was there. But um, mm. you know he has one I think average year, and then he goes to the Sugar Bowl in year and year year two. So um, he's just proven to like wherever he has been, he's also been pretty successful as well. <laughs> as far as the recruiting goes in the Midwest, I I don't recall like how big of an impact he had necessarily in that sort of territory because I know Gary Anderson staff they were all about uh, recruiting outside of the state more so mm-hmm. to speak and going nationwide you know that's what would scare me a little bit I mean I think he's got the Wisconsin ties I, I do think based on like the back based on like what he's done at Baylor I do think he would be the guy that would like to keep those recruits in state or, or, you know, basically with the Barry Alvarez method. I think he would mm-hmm. still find a way to keep that, um, you know, intact. Um, you know, just, you know, with those kind of accolades that he's had, I think it might – the only saving grace also that I think would be a reason why that we could get him is because Baylor is kind of like, as a program, they are doing well. But as the years go on and, you know, it's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten, right now Baylor's kind of left out in the cold. I think somebody can correct me wrong on that, but I think as of right now with those two, you know, powerhouse conferences, Baylor is kind of going to be stuck with, you know, I don't want to, you know, throw like schools under the bus, but like the SMUs, like, uh, you know, and all those and Cincinnati. Correct. And, you know, money talks and that's not going to be at the end of the day where the money is necessarily. I know all he wants to do is coach ball, whatever. That's great. 
Um, but as far as resources and all that too, that goes along with it. I think our Wisconsin could be a potential better fit as well. Uh, from every like report that I've even short report that I've looked up prior to, you know, putting Dave Aranda down, he, he loved Madison. His family's loved Madison too for, for the time they were there. Um, so I know I didn't want to, I kind of wanted to get another offensive guy, but I felt like it'd be worth mentioning, you know, Dave Aranda. So, uh, with those accolades. So that's my number two. All right, Jake, give me your last guy. All right. You guys, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. Michigan, take my last guy. Michigan offensive coordinator. They have two, they have two, they have co-offensive coordinators. Did I take your guy? Nope, you didn't. I thought Mike he was going to honestly when he's like, "This guy's having some success this year." I was like, oh, "Yeah, shit. I know." I was, I was really interested. <laughs> Mikey was gassing that up. Um, well, this guy's having some success too. I mean, Michigan's offense is very good. Michigan overall is very good. They're number four. Um, Sharon Moore. Uh, everything I've read about him, the players at Michigan absolutely love him. So that was the first thing that attracted me to make him my number one. Two. You talked about people wanting to stay in a pro-style offense. Michigan runs a pro-style offense. They run the goddamn football a lot, and they run it very well. They don't have the best quarterback play of all time either. I don't I don't think – is it still McCarthy over there? McCaffrey? Yes. McCaffrey? I don't think that he's – I don't think that he's worlds better than Mertz, in my opinion. I I put him in the same tier, honestly. Yeah, they're, they're, they're around the same place. So if Moore could come in here, change the attitude a little bit, I think that he'd be a good fit with that pro style offense. And he's, he's the guy um, he's the O-line coach. So we talked a lot about O-line struggling this year, bringing a guy that knows how to coach up some O-line with a little bit of attitude who the players absolutely love. Check, check, check. That's what that says to me. So Sean Moore or Alex Golish, if they sign either of those two, I'm going streaking, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my last guy. I'm glad nobody said him, and I'm glad I haven't really seen his name floated out there a ton. I did mm-hmm. see the Sporting News had it, and I was like, damn it. I wanted to be the first one to say this. Um, but my last one is Dave Clawson from Wake Forest. Um, <laughs> um, Good pick. The first – he was one of the first names that I looked up, and the more stuff that I wrote down, I'm like, damn, I want this guy in Wisconsin um wake forest is one of those programs that really isn't known for football but they have actually been a pretty decent football team um so you know dave clausen is pretty much you know a main reason for that is bringing wake forest football you know back to relevance um he was the acc coach of the year in 2021 uh wake forest was 11 and 3 um he's been there since 2013 and his record at wake forest is 51 and 48 that said in the last Dude. six years, their record is 45 and 30. That's so, respectable yeah. when you consider Wake Forest. Exactly. Yeah. So you take those first. Right. So you take those first three years, some pretty rough years, but since then, pretty damn good. So since 2019, Wake Forest is 15 and 2 at home. I know a lot of people are frustrated about losing to Illinois at home this past week. 15 and 2 at home since 2019. Um, had Wake Forest ranked as high as number nine last year. This is Wake Forest yeah. we're talking about. Um, Why do I not remember they're, that? <laughs> they're currently they're currently number 15 right now. Um yeah. they're averaging 24th 
most points in college football right now at 40.4 a game. Um, Wisconsin's at 29.8 for reference. Um, averaging 298 passing yards per game, just 31st. It's not They're not great rushing stats, but that is what Wisconsin does. So Wisconsin runs the ball well. Wisconsin is averaging 218 passing yards, so about 80 more passing yards that Wake Forest is averaging than Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's you know potentially something that works well. You marry what the team needs to be better at, which is potentially the passing game, scoring, with what they already do well, which their identity is to run the ball. So you kind of marry those two things. And I think you could have something there. Wake Forest has been over 35 points in 12 of their 14 games in 21 and 2021. So 12 of 14 games, they were over 35 points. Um, I will say that he might want his offensive coordinator to come with him. Um, what that means for Bobby Ingram, you know, whether, he wants to seek different opportunities or if he wants to stay on potentially as the quarterback's coach because um, Bobby Agram is doing both right now. He's the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach, so maybe they could potentially keep him in on that role. Um, but Wisconsin last year averaged 388 yards per game. Wake Forest last season averaged 468 yards per game. That's a big difference. Um. Wisconsin averaged 218 passing yards last year. Wake Forest averaged 307. Can you imagine nice. talking about Graham Mertz as a 300-yard-a-game passer? That would be I, would, I would probably calm down the criticism real quick. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, why? we shouldn't be surprised, right? This is what he's supposed to do coming in. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, his defense created 29 turnovers last year. That is nice. a lot. That's good. Um, um, and then he does have a little bit of familiarity with Wisconsin. Um, Wake Forest and Wisconsin played in the 2020 Duke's Mayo Bowl. Wisconsin won 42 to 28. Um, Graham Mertz Duke's had three Mayo touchdowns Bowl. in that game, one passing, two rushing. So that was the game where they dropped them. the trophy, right? Yeah. 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 Right. I forgot yeah. about that. Um, <laughs> So Dave Clawson is my number one. Like I said, the more I read about him, the more I wanted him for Wisconsin. Um, I think, you know, if he's at Wake Forest and, and a Big Ten team comes calling, I think that would be a pretty tempting opportunity to take for him. So um, Dave Clawson is my my number one guy that I want for the Badgers if they decide not to stick with Jim Leonard or if Jim Leonard decides to not stick with the head coaching job. So, yeah, that's my number one. Mike, who's right, your number Mike. one? Lay it on heavy, baby. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm kidding. So my number one, you know, is Lance, is Lance Leipold. Is there some bias to this? Cause I am a Warhawk. Yes, there is. However, I think there's a plenty, there's definitely some justification as to why, um, you know, I guess I'll start with his, you know, whitewater, uh, campaign. You're in a D3 school and you go one 109 wins and six losses in D3. You can't offer any scholarships. The kid, the students pay for their own freaking football cleats. I mean, like this dude, like you can't like going D3 to have that like good of a record. That's maybe one. And my guess is maybe the coach from Mount Union. Mount Union is the only one. Whatever. But to go to have that type of record, you know, year after year after year. And I remember it was my senior year. There was a um, when college game, they weren't in Whitewater, but college game day had a segment on 
the last year when Whitewater won the title. I think it was 2015. And literally once that segment happened, that's to my understanding, that's when coaches started calling. Uh, that was the last year they, they won the title. And it was like, uh, I think Oshkosh came to play. It was like for conference like that weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, right after the season stops, next thing you know, this dude gets a coaching offer to go to Buffalo. So, mm-hmm. you know, he gets Buffalo, low tier, you know, on the MAC conference. Like, who the hell wants to go to Buffalo to play school, right? To go to play school, play football at that school. So, in his first couple of years, they they were, you know, somewhat average. But, I mean, it's doable. It's Buffalo. He goes 5-7, and 2-10. and ten. Third year goes 6-6. Six and six. He, now, in year, it's year four, it's 2018. He's got his guys in there. He goes 10-4 and four overall. 7-1 in the conference. He just literally gets his guys, his coaches in the program, and he goes 10-4 and four in his fourth year. That's a sign, you know, all right, we got our system in there. We got our kids there. Like, let's roll. Culture. Yeah. And then in his final year there, in his COVID year, hit the Buffalo went 6-1 and one and 5-0 and oh in conference during the COVID year. They and that's fucking you know, get Yeah. So – like Buffalo was ass, okay? Like they were here. <laughs> they are equivalent to what Kansas was prior to his arrival there. So um just Bill just getting what being a winner everywhere he goes. At Kansas, he goes there, he goes two and ten his first year, one and eight in conference. Mind you, that win was at Texas on the road last year. I know it's like, oh, yeah, deal, that's one one win, but you know what? It's freaking Kansas. I mean Kansas used to like last season. I think there was a game. I don't think it was Coach Leipold's idea. The students at like Memorial Stadium or wherever the booth they call it, uh, they they won against South Dakota, and the students rushed the field after that win. I still like like that just tells you what kind of a program Kansas is. I guess was now if you want to say that speaks volumes. Like, yes. Speaks volumes. This dude now has literally got a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback who no, nobody has ever heard of prior to this year on the brink, or not, I shouldn't say on the cusp of winning the Big 12. There's a lot of football that will be played. But, I mean, they're one win from being bowl eligible. That's going to be the first time since 2009 when they went to, I think it was the Orange Bowl when Mark Mangino was coached, that, that, that bigger dude, if you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. first time since that year that they've sold out a game since 2009 so he's obviously got the culture there like the students are starting to come around to it he's still and i think one of the most unique things about lance is that he's literally kept i think it's three assistants the offensive coordinator coach kotelnicki uh coach borland the d coordinator kotelnicki's the oak offensive coordinator and i want to say the quarterback's coach from whitewater is still with him as well and then he's also also brought with i want to say three or four assistants from buffalo so I don't want to call it like loyalty or I guess you could call it loyalty or, you know, you know, he's kept the same guys. They can obviously win wherever they go. I feel like. Yeah. Um, it's like Kansas I, five and all this year, right? Yep. They are. Five. You, want to know what, you want to know what's happening on Saturday? College game day is going there for the first time ever. Yeah. Ever. College and game day is going to Kansas. Go to Kansas. So it's kind of like, like a circle. That's big. Of they have a segment on him when he's still at Whitewater, right? He gets hired literally two to three weeks later at a D1 school. Now he's finally got college game day coming to him in college just for football. So, circle. <laughs> just a proven win. 
I mean, it would be a different kind of offense, too, in comparison to what Wisconsin sees as well. They're, I mean, they like to spread it around a little bit. A lot of misdirection, too, from what I've seen. Granted, I do need to watch a full Kansas game, and I'm going to this Saturday because I believe they're slated to play at 11 a.m. Uh, before the Badgers. So we're going to have to go. them. So it's back a little back. bit of misdirection, I think, with what kind of offense that they run. Uh, the one thing that I – you know, it's not going to be a knock because, I mean, if they want to move on from Leonard, you know, it is what it is. But I do know statistically if we're talking Kansas football, like de- defensively, statistics-wise, we might be taking like a hit at least in the first year or two until we get our guys in there. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, Lance, Coach Leipold's gone everywhere he's gone to. He has, you know, built up a great resume. I have no doubt even if he doesn't go to Wisconsin – He's going to get an off like a few offers probably from the likes of Nebraska, maybe Auburn. I'm hearing the Auburn job could be up for grabs now. Georgia Tech. Um, I'm definitely missing one more yet. Or Arizona State. Arizona State. Yeah. Personally, he's going to. We'll have his. Not for football. Yeah. Especially after what they just did to Herm Edwards. Fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. So make no mistake about it. He can say all he wants that he wants to stay in Lawrence for a while, but I don't think, you know, should Wisconsin come calling again? I think at the end of the day, Jim, this is Jim Leonard's job to lose. But if Wisconsin comes calling, I we're going to offer him a fat, a fat sum of money. I, it's going to be a, a lot. I think, you know, he's going to have the Wisconsin ties, most importantly, which also in conclusion to this, I think at the end of the day, if we do choose to move on from Leonard, we do have to hire somebody that has to, you know, have that Barry Alvarez effect to keep in those good kids in state because we've definitely, over the last couple of years, we've definitely lost a few of those good those kids in the state of Wisconsin. And I don't say it's going to cost our program, but, you know, you're seeing in the next couple of years now, in 2023, 2024, Wisconsin's gotten a lot better with high school kids. So I think it's real important in our next hire here. We need to build build off of that relationship that you know Paul Christ has done a good job with, and at least I guess not great job lately, I should say, but he's at least established the relationships with the co- the high school coaches. I think that's really what's most important uh, to mm-hmm. me in the next hire if we don't go the Jimmy way. So, and I think Lance just fits that mold. It's, it's so cool that say, he's from the state of Wisconsin. He's from Jefferson, Wisconsin. So I mean. I'd be on board with with any of the guys that we've named. I think that would put the Badgers in a positive direction, which is all we're looking for, really. Yeah. I think on the subject, while we're talking about Paul Chris replacements, um, we need to give Paul Chris a thank you. Um, He's going to go down as the third winningest coach in Badgers history. Um, Four, ten win seasons since he's been back. Um, And when it comes down to it, his, you know, as being bought out as a coach, he was entitled to $19.5, $20 million. And he settled and he he only took 11. Yeah. So now he, before we get comments of only 11 million, he could have taken, he could have took 20, all that. 20. Double. He took basically half, 55% of what he could have. Yeah. That's pretty You're cool, telling man. me that if somebody, if your job says to you that we're letting you go, you're entitled to a thousand dollar severance package that you're not going to say, you know, I'll just take five fifty and be on my way. Yeah. No, it's hey Cody, like- what do I think about Bill O'Brien? Hmm. <laughs> I feel like I just spent 10 minutes talking about him a little bit ago. 
Uh, Bill O'Brien was on my list. He was my number three guy. Um, so I did bring up Bill O'Brien. So if you can, uh, when the show is over, if you want to scroll back and um, and listen to that part, I did bring up Bill O'Brien as one of mine. Is there anything else you guys want to say on the subject of Wisconsin coaching? I will say, I will go out, on, not on a limb here, but I will say that Paul, Paul Chris deserves our all our respect. I think you kind of just pointed that out here. He is just a guy that I think at the end of the day, too, He's just, he's a guy who wants to play ball. That's all he wants to do. He's a guy that I would love to go to like literally like a bar with a dive bar, drink a 12 pack with him and just talk football like all freaking night. I think he's like the, he's like that guy, you know, he doesn't want to worry about the outside noise. He just wants to play ball. I mean, he's a player's coach. I just think at the end of the day, and I think it's a, a lot of like little things that we're building up to this, but I think as far as like a marketing perspective with like representing the Wisconsin brand from a nation, like nationwide perspective with recruiting, you know, there's a, a lot of little things, but I think at the end of the day, he just wants to bulk. He just wanted to buckle down, play ball and not really give a rat's ass about literally anything, anything else, which in today's age, you have to, you know, you, you know, kind of play the game, keep your, your eye, eyes open in like a lot of different areas. And I think ultimately that had a big part into why he's no longer the coach. I think when you get, you know, teams like USC and UCLA come that are going to come calling in a couple of years, um, you need to be all hands on deck with what your identity is. And Jake, you talked about it when we started on this call. We don't have that identity right now. We need to no. figure that out. And along with the fact that you got guys that like hot names like Lance Leipold, Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard's been thrown, his name has been thrown around literally since his first year as a D coordinator at Madison. I personally, mm -hmm. not necessarily do I think it was directly Chris McIntosh's call to make this transaction was, do I think it was directly his responsibility? No, I think there was alumni that were involved on this that throw, throw down millions of dollars to make sure our program, you know, is steering in the right direction. So I think there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we're talked about. For all we know, Paul Chris could have been a part of that. Um, but I think I just, you know, Paul Chris is a legend still in my book. He didn't get us there to a natty, but no one has yet for Wisconsin. So um, he won against the teams for the most part that he was supposed to beat. Um, you know, I just, you know, I pro just props to, to Paul Chris and, um, there, there should be no sort of slander at all, you know, whatsoever. What about uh turnover chain, my fucking ass? What about that, huh? One moment with him. It was probably, I was going to say the three top wins with him. I would say LSU is number one. I would say Miami's number two. And maybe three and four could be those ass whoopings that we gave Michigan at Camp Randall. Oh, the one where we just, we literally were like, we're just going to run the ball. Like we're just gonna keep handing the fucking ball off, and they were just like, "Okay, keep doing it and keep getting what about ten yards." The, what was it? Was it seventy to seventy to seven over Nebraska? Was Paul coaching that? Was that Paul Chris or not? Um, might have been. That was twenty, what, fifteen, maybe fourteen. It was either. Oh, yeah, that trans. I'm not sure, but. No, Paul Chris is just a guy that I would just love to go suck beer with at a bar. Just talk. It was twenty twelve. Oh, that was that long ago. Damn, I'm old. Because that was the last time he won the Big Ten, right? Yeah. So, so that it, was. And that could have been Brett Bielema yet. It would have been twenty twelve. Yeah. 
because we haven't won the Big Ten in ten years. Yeah, that sounds right. Sounds sad. Right. <laughs> you ask me. All right. Well, we're gonna look forward now. We're gonna go into Northwestern. Honestly, I am looking. I I did more of a step back. I did less of a an analytical statistical point of view on this, and I'm taking more of a almost like a rest of season outlook starting with Northwestern. Um, so for me from the offense, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the offense and I'm going to continue to say it because I do think he is still doing good things despite making some bad decisions, but I love what I've seen from Graham Mertz talent wise. Um, he's made a couple poor decisions, um, but he also needs his wide receivers to help him out a little bit by holding onto the ball. So we saw in Illinois, we saw some drops. We saw in the beginning of the season, Marcus Allen struggling with some drops. Um, you know, if guys can hold on to the ball, you know, grab Mertz's stats will look a lot better. Obviously, he wouldn't have had his first interception last week. That ball was a ball that got tipped. Um, we'll see if the Badgers end up healthy on the offensive line. Um, Mallman hasn't played since, what, week one, week two? So that's that's a big deal. There's been a lot of shuffling since then, and it shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but this team needs to to rediscover that they're a capable offense. Um, they have good players. They have talented players. You know, Graham Mertz and um, all three of the running backs, you know, Garendo and Malusi and Allen. And then you get to the wide receivers like Skylar Bell and Marcus Allen and Kimberly DK and Keontes Lewis, who is a guy that I don't think any of us really saw coming, has played really well and has made some really nice catches. There are capable players on this football team. Um, so that's, that's what I want to see. You know, I'm, I'm going to go into this game with zero expectations, honestly. Um, because I'm just want to see what this team does in their first game under Jim Leonard as head coach. Um, if it's going to be, you know, they're going to be energized by having a new head coach, or if they're going to be, you know, kind of bummed out by losing the guy that they've had there for years. Um, so like I said, I'm going in not with a ton of expectations, but, um, what are you guys looking at for from the Badgers offense on Saturday afternoon? Jake, go ahead. You want me to go on? Nah, I've been you go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so for me, um, I'm going to be watching Mertz as well. Um, Mertz talked a lot in the offseason about facing adversity, and he thinks that he's becoming a better leader. And he's been hit with a lot of adversity to start this season. And this next moment on Saturday is <laughs> adversity as well, and it's a big one. Um, this is one of the biggest, you know, situations that he'll be in in his young career. So for him to go out there and prove that he's a leader, he's going to have to do that. We're going to have to sling the ball around a little bit. I would love for us to get back to some more ground and pound. Northwestern's defense is not the Northwestern defense of old. They've been giving up a lot of yards. I mean, they played a really close game with Nebraska. And we all know how that turned out. <laughs> um, so I think this is a very – yeah. <laughs> I think this is a very winnable game, but I'm looking to see who's going to step up. Uh, Tyler talked about, you know, how they're going to be feeling, how they're going to react. Well, we're going to find out. And that's that's the thing I think I'm looking for is to see what kids step up. Go ahead, you know, yeah. So it's funny. It's funny that you say that. I was going to bring this up earlier. This year, we have not overcame any sort of adversity in a game at all. Like, you think about, like, when we've fallen behind or when something goes wrong, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I think 
Yeah, I just don't. I think we've done a very awful job of overcoming any sort of adversity that gets thrown our way, penalties included. Um, you know, when it's discipline, adversity, it always just seems to keep trending downward. Take the Ohio State game. No, we, I not think we were going to win that game. But as soon as Graham Mertz throws that pick, it's literally game. Like, there was no signs of life at all. Nope. I just want to see – I do want to see us overcome some adversity. I mean, yes, it's against Northwestern, but let's not forget the last two times we played there, we've laid, laid eggs. And I think I said in the beginning – of uh, this year going into the season, we were, I forget if I said I, we're going to lose in Northwestern or at Michigan state. Um, you know, everything's changed now since the coach firing, whatever, but we just do not play well at Northwestern for God knows what yeah. we just don't. We just, it's not an 11 AM game. Maybe that helps, but uh, um, you know, we're still 10 point favorites going into this weekend, which is crazy. I think, I don't know, Vegas must love us or something, but, or hate Northwestern, which I think is a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see us overcome some sort of adversity, whether it is offensively or defensively. But we just have not been able to do that this year. You know, whether that's Graham Mertz, you know, having a game or the offensive line just setting the tone too. Like, I, just, I need a complete game out of the offensive line if it's not going to be the adversity thing. A complete game from the offensive line. That's what I'm looking for because we need, if we're, we need to go back to the Wisconsin way, probably on the short term, I'm thinking we need to like, you know, get aggressive and fuck some dudes up at the, at, at the line. So. Oh yeah. So Mikey, you brought up the, the 10 points. I wasn't going to bring this up later. Do you know what the number, the percentage is for the consensus pick by ESPN on this game? Are we, Oh, it's 80 to 20, wasn't it? Or like something like that or no. Rather, do you know the number? No. Uh, now I know it is. Now giggling. <laughs> 69% consensus pick, baby. Oh, I only wrote it down yeah. to a 69. That went down. Oh, awesome. Where to God. Yeah. I swear to God, I thought it was 80. Okay. But... Nope, it was, well, I just checked today. I, I write it down on Wednesdays right before the show. Uh, 69% consensus pick. Hey. <laughs> hey, All right. Uh, so nice. The defense, again, I'm looking more at a zoomed out version. So for the defense, I'd like to see more fundamentally sound play. Um, cutting down on the turnovers, like Mike said, responding to adversity, responding to penalties is is a big thing. So they're going to happen. But folk, like, I, like we said when we're talking about the Brewers, focusing on the last play means you're not focusing on the next play. And that's something I think the Badgers really need to work on is um, not focusing on the mistakes you've made, but focusing on executing on the play that's coming up. Um, as far as the defense is concerned, um, I would also like to see somebody other than Keanu Benton and Nick Herbig be involved in the pass rush. That's the other thing that I'm really looking for about the defense. So um, what are you guys looking for from the defense against Northwestern's offense? Uh, so you use discipline. That's a word that I would use as well. Um, being more disciplined, the team just looked horrible last week, both ends of the football. I mean, yeah, we can talk about um, Badgers still ranked number 29 in college for defense. That's hmm. good, Cody. Um, surprising, honestly. You know, yeah, I know the, the thing that I'm really looking for is just somebody just make a play. Um, this yeah. is usually, you know, when you're in tough, tough areas like the Badgers are right now. You turn to your stars, and Tyler talked about you wanted somebody other than Benton and Herbig. I am looking for Herbig to be that guy 
lead by example. You know, because we talked about this team needing an identity. Somebody's got to make a play. Somebody's got to create that momentum. So I'm looking for Herbig, Benton, Torsio, like his 100-yard pick six. I'm looking for somebody to spark that momentum, spark that fight. I mean, Mike leader. literally has a hat that says Grit Factory. I mean, yes, sir. come on. Let, let's, let's get back to it. Let's get that swagger back. Let's start feeling good about ourselves again. Somebody going to make a fucking play. That's what I'm looking for. Mike, what are you looking for from the Badgers defense? Well, I think first and foremost, you guys have already mentioned it, Nick Herbick. I mean, this guy, I mean, week by week, he's always talking about, okay, wait, wait for it. Just wait for it. Like, we're going to, we go, we are going to be there. So I need him to show me some leadership, show me some heart out, some heart out there. Be a captain, show even post, you know, your coach getting fired. You need to overcome that right now. And this is like your make or break. This is one of your make or break points of the season, yep. going to be honest. So um, another individual I do want to call out, he is, to my knowledge, he is going to be back this week, I believe, Alex Smith. Yep. The corner. So yep. I look forward to seeing him on the field and getting him. Uh, yep. some, because uh, let's be honest, the secondary, I mean, granted, Torchio's having an okay year, I guess. But the secondary, um, go figure, is not, you know, holding itself up to – uh, the I think Holman has had some decent moments, especially for a freshman, but as a whole, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing Alex Smith. He was supposed to be one of the starting corners this year. So, um, and Northwestern does throw the ball a lot. That is something that has not happened in years past with them. So uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing our secondary getting a lot of looks as well, because they definitely will. Um, and it's just something, yeah, they average, I think Northwestern averages close to 300 passing yards a game or if it's yep. like two seventy, yeah, two, yeah. Something 285. Close. So, um, the secondary is going to be busy, but maybe not as busy if we can get guys like Herbig and maybe, you know, you don't hear guys like Daryl Peterson as much as I would have hoped I me, mean, whether that's getting on a pass rush, love to hear from him. Maybe it's even a backup, like a Caden Johnson or like, Maybe they start using some, you know, a couple more backups in certain positions just to, you know, light a fire under this team's ass to, like, get some sort of a momentum shift going. Like, who's going to step up and make that play? So, um, you know, gradually, yeah, more individualized for me, but I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, Alex Smith overall getting, uh, you know, on the field for the first time this year. So who would your who would your X factor be for this game, Mike? <sighs> X factor. So... Honestly, I'm going to go – it's not even an X factor, I guess. Um, I'm going to say the offensive line again as a whole. Northwestern gives up – I mean, overall, overall, Northwestern has given up close to 175 yards a game on the ground this year. I yep. think that we're that's where we're going to be able to uh, potentially attack on the – attack is the run game. So I'm really, really, you know – I need this offensive line to go for me this weekend because, you know, that left the most, I mean, with the exception of all those penalties collectively this past weekend, the offensive line just got their ass beat and it's been repetitive this whole year so far, in my view, I need them to have a game. I need them to have a complete game. I think that's going to be ultimately the X factor as well. Otherwise Mertz might be, you know, on his butt, you know, quite a bit too. So. I went with Braylon Allen for mine, so I think that ties in really well to yours about the offensive line. We've talked about it a couple times already. Having a short memory after after negative things have happened. If you can put that behind you and focus on what's to come. So for Braylon Allen, if you can 
you know, focus less on what happened last week and focus more on what you're doing this week. If you can have a bounce back game, um, Braylon Allen is my X factor. Jake, who is yours? Uh, the number you're looking for, by the way, Mike, they give up 172.6 rush yards, which is okay. a ton. <laughs> um, I went back and forth. I was like, Mertz, Herbig, Mertz, Herbig, because when you're looking at the team, you look at the quarterback and on defense, you a hero. it's, it's, you know, it, it might be, it's probably a linebacker, right? Most of the time. Um, and it could be a guy that could get a couple strip sacks or just a couple sacks or tackles for loss or, you know, just that vocal leaner. So for me, I, I landed on Graham Mertz and I've done it almost every week, but it's cause it needs to happen. Um, yeah. talk, like I said, he talked about adversity. Um, he talked about facing challenges and not shying away from them. And like I said before, right now, like point blank period, simple as it can be, it's time to put up or shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, we're under 500, five games in the year. It's time to fucking go into Chicago, do what Wisconsin teams do in Chicago, come away with a W, and then we can we can start this shit up. I mean, there's still a chance that the Badgers completely turn this shit around and we we turn this into a winning season. Eight and four, I mean, is definitely something I could see happening. Yeah. Nine and three would be tremendous. But is it realistic now? The way that I've seen this Badgers team lifelessly just walking around the field? No. Right but maybe maybe Jim could could spark something. Hey. And maybe hey, I'm talking myself into saying Herbig. I don't know. But I think Mertz, Mertz has to be the guy. Yeah. That's what I really think he's at. I think Mertz has to be that guy. Cody put a stat for you in the in the comments that Northwestern defense allows 384 yards per game. Yep. 211 wow. pass yards and 24.8 points per game. Yeah, exactly. Opportunity is a perfect word for this weekend. That might be the word yeah. of the, the word of the day for Saturday for the Badgers is opportunity. Um, Jake, give me your give me your key to victory for the Badgers. Me and Mike are always in the same wavelength, especially with the Wisconsin way. It's a fucking offensive line. I am just so sick and tired of seeing these big giant motherfuckers getting ran over. My dad always told me, you know, on the offensive line, you gotta be mean. You gotta have a mean streak in you. And, like, that, that's serious, man. Like, you come to Wisconsin, you play in the Big Ten, th- this is the conference where you get down and dirty. We produce offensive linemen for the NFL in this conference. So, for the Badgers offensive line to be looking as bad as it is, quite frankly, is pissing me off. Yeah. Get out there, be fucking nasty, run somebody's ass over, and let's fucking do this shit. Like, if you're not ready when you put that goddamn helmet on to completely destroy another human being, take that fucking shit off. That's how <laughs> I feel. It's pissing me off that they look so bad. I'm sitting in the stands on Saturday, and I'm just like, because, there, you know, there's thousands of people bitching and complaining, so I don't want to join in on them, and I try to be optimistic, you know? But it's like, watching them get their ass beat for 60 minutes or not, it's, it's, it's tough, dude. And yeah. I just, I want the offensive line to just produce. Just show me something. Yes. Show me some heart. All right. For me, I just wanted to I, – I stuck um, I stuck with the, my zoomed out version. So I want – for my key to victory is remembering that Wisconsin is still a strong football program yeah. and playing like it. That's that's my key to victory. I know, Mike, you, you mentioned a couple things when we were talking about the offense, but is there, there one that stands out to you as a key to victory? Oh, man, I just – the key to victory by Graham Mertz some time and maybe get Braylon Allen more than two rushing yards. 
Uh, that's, that's a good one. I, I I would say that that would help. I think, I think they could do that in one play. Like that was bottom of the barrel shit that this past weekend. It, that was Jake. I feel sad, bad that you were in state in the stadium watching that game. At least I was getting having a few beers while watching it. That was the only uh, benefit, you know, being on. <laughs> but um, no, it's you know this is just not the Wisconsin way. It was bad enough getting it, having Brett Bielema doing that to to us, you know, right in our face. Um, you know, you know, it, you know what we could hold over him though is that guy could barely run. He can barely move. That's some bitch. He's probably better off just laying down and having somebody roll him. Bro, and he was working the refs the whole day. Yeah, all day he was working those motherfuckers, and it worked. Yeah, I'll just say that. So it's. You know, stuff like that. I just want, you know, Bra- I need Braylon Allen to go off. I want our running backs to maybe have a good game collectively. I mean, we were off to a good start on Saturday with Garendo, and I messaged you guys, yeah, let's get Garendo lined up as He's a field, hot hand. And maybe even going into this weekend, maybe Jim, I mean, Co- Coach Leonard will let Bobby just, like, run the whole show himself. For all we know, who knows if, if Chris has had some sort of influence on this play calling. Maybe it's spread. we spread it around a little more. Um, you know, I, I think we are going to see a little bit, a little, some, I'm, I think we're going to see a little bit of different stuff. Like we're going to have, see some plays that we haven't seen before. That's a prediction that I think. We were in a scenario last year where we're like, you know, at this point of the season, just open up the playbook and just let it rip. Yeah. If there's a time to do it, it's no. when you're two and three and just fired your head coach. Like it, seriously, open up the playbook, go cover to cover, throw trick plays. I don't give a shit. Do whatever you want to do. Even if it means that you lose a game but have fun for once, like just look like you're having fun playing a football mm. game for a little bit. Yeah. If you lose that... this one, it's your first game without your head coach. Go win the rest of them and finish eight and four. But just, you know, if there's a time to open up the playbook completely and just full send on, you know, just say fuck it and we're going to do whatever we want to do, like, there's really not a better time against the bad defense to, to do it. So, um, Mike, this is your first time joining us since we've been doing two score predictions every week now. Um, so one from the head, one from the heart. Give me your score prediction from the head. <laughs> oh, my God. For, from my head, I'm going to go. This should right. be your smart one unless your your heart controls everything. <laughs> it's going to be it's gonna be 30, 35 to all right. Yeah. On my head, head or heart? Oh my god! Now you got to do the heart if you want to do the heart first. Dude, it's hard <laughs> to separate them. It really is. I hear you. For, okay, for my heart, we're gonna score. It's gonna be thirty-five to. Uh, we'll go 31 because I do think we're gonna give up some some points, unfortunately. But um, my head, I am gonna say twenty-seven twenty-one. Uh, I, I think you know. We're gonna have. I, I think we score points on this team. If we can't score points on Northwestern, who te- teams such as Nebraska have scored a bunch of points on this team, like Houston. what are like, if we can't do it now? Like I know Illinois is not the greatest team in the world, but they're clearly better. If we can't do it against, they had a good defense coming in. Even though I I say we're cursed playing at Northwestern for some odd reason, if we can't score on them. Then I, you know, it's just, it's just speechless. Then Jimmy's just gonna have to blow up the whole ship, but. Uh, I I had 27-21 Wisconsin. Northwestern still does cover, though. 
All right, Jake, give me your score prediction from the head. <laughs> you guys are going to hate this. 17-16. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be a That's grinder. Um, my score prediction really from the head, I went 20-14. to 14. Oh, Okay. Prediction from the head. Also so, a grinder. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's still a grinder. Jake, give me your score prediction from the heart. 38-10. Everything no, that we need is 38-10, to 10, bro. I went 30-10. to 10. Oh, my like, God. We are on the same wavelength, bud. <laughs> if, oh, dude, if 17-16 happens, I'll, I'm going to be pissed. But, like, I don't know. Just all the turmoil. Uh, we're not really – we don't have an identity, like I've said a hundred times. I really feel like – Tyler, me, and you, I feel like our head predictions are going to be pretty spot on, which is sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just get back to winning, have some yeah. fun, yeah. you know, change the change the feeling around the team. Yeah. Um, you know, of all of the negativity that I've seen, I would say it's probably 60% Paul Christ, 40% Graham Mertz. Um, as far as the negativity surrounding the Badgers are concerned. So if that's, you know, a potentially accurate thing, 60% of what the fans are complaining about is gone. So I do feel that this is an opportunity to um, change the the public view of the Badgers football team, at least for the rest of this season is concerned, is starting this weekend. Um, and having a team like Northwestern that's that's allowed some, some big games to other teams and, you know, having this opportunity to – to go and like reset the reset the feeling around the team for this season, I think is a, a big opportunity for the Badgers on Saturday. Yeah, agreed. All right. Let's well, Mike, eat. thanks for joining us again. Um, I think we put out some good potential candidates for for the Badgers. Should Jim Leonard decide he doesn't want to stick around with the head coaching job, or the Badgers decide they want to hire, you know, an offensive-minded head coach to 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 revamp the the entire program as far as identity and style of play is concerned. Um, we'll see. It's going to be the rest of the season with Jim Leonard. Regardless, they did say that Jim Leonard will be the, the head coach for the rest of this season. So they're not going to make an in-season coaching hire or anything like that. Um, I mean, I guess unless they do decide to just go ahead and, and make Jim Leonard the guy and, and keep him for years to come, but um, we'll see what happens with it. Um, We'll see. We'll just get a chance to basically hit a reset button with the Badgers this weekend. So um, I'm looking forward to watching it and seeing what the what the team looks like on Saturday. So, all right. Well, I'll be available Saturday to bitch about shit that doesn't go right. So, <laughs> talk to you guys then. <laughs> all right. Sounds all right. good. Thanks for joining us again, Mike. Yes, sir. Bye. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.